This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. My brother says it's a boxing club. I said, let's go boxing. So, and I, I grew up watching like Rocky, love Rocky, do the press ups, then Bruce Lee films. And this, this is a bit of a funny story. So me and my brother, we watched Bloodsport and Kickboxer. And uh, you've seen them, right? Yeah, a <laughs> hundred times. <laughs> I want to tell this story. It is pretty crazy. So notice that bit in one of them when they stretch him on the rope. So me and my brother decide we're going to do this. Like you were kids, we think this is real training. Like this is what you've got to do to be a martial artist. So I t- my brother goes first, not me. So I tie him to two trees and we start stretching him. So he gets so far, but obviously it's makeshift tie around the tree. He face plants on the concrete with his arms, head cut open. Mum goes crazy. We're like, no, we see that in Bloodsport. It's what we've got to do. We used to do all this. We used to do really crazy stuff. We used to get ice out of the fish pond, break it like karate kid. Just real crazy stuff when we look back. But I know it's what we did. We want to be martial artists. Welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at White Basement Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, ground and pound the like button and the subscribe button. And please do share the show, it helps us to grow. My guest today is Spencer Hewitt, a former professional MMA fighter, CFC champion who fought for Bama, Cage Warriors, and Bellator. A second-degree black belt under the legendary Ricardo Vieira, Spencer has a laundry list of competition medals, including wins at ADCC in Poland and the 2022 Nogi European Championships, and freshly crowned as the 2023 European Nogi Champion after winning again in Rome last week. He is currently ranked number one in the world in his bracket. Spencer is head coach at Checkmat Essex, part of the International Checkmat Association under Leo Vieira, 
where he trains and teaches daily. Spencer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, much, much appreciated to have me on here. I really appreciate it. So uh, I, I say a very quick thank you to Jolie for putting us yep. together. Um, she's like my main fixer, pretty much. So she sent me some some great people to uh, to talk to. So thanks, Jolie, for that. Um, yeah. So uh, you're a you're a you're a busy man. Very busy. You're a um, busy man. Um, I, I think probably a good place to start is maybe like a little bit of your martial arts okay. journey, so, yeah. so people can kind of get an idea of how how we got to where you are today. So how did you uh, how did you start off in the martial okay, arts? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fill you back in. Uh, we're gonna talk about the martial arts, but how it happened. So um, my dad is not a martial artist, but I was brought up very much as boys. Got to be physical and. I have a younger brother. Um, I'm a very small guy. My dad's actually very big, very strong, very physical man. So we was brought up like very rough and tough. And, um, you know, if my, I'm not saying this is right, but my dad's like, if you have a fight, it's not a problem. Like, like, yeah, if I, if I was out playing and I got into a fight, he wouldn't tell me off. Like, you fight. <laughs> Basically, that's how I got brought up. Um, but my brother was genetically more like my dad, big, stocky. And uh, so my brother, even though he was younger than me, was actually more physical than me. So we had a friendly rivalry. You know, we used to wrestle every day and fight. We didn't actually do martial arts. And then we started judo. So my mum took me to judo and I loved it. How old were you then? Mm, seven. Oh, seven years old. So we, me and my brother started training. As soon as we get home, guess what? We're doing judo at home throwing each other on the floor, on carpet. And so we start doing that. And um, yeah, so that, that that was the first start. And then I started getting quite good at it, actually, even though I was very small. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm, I'm quite small is well, my mum's small. But when I was born, I had a, a thing where your, your, in, your stomach has a muscle that pumps the food. And it, I can't remember the exact name, but it closes up. And I was close to dying because I weren't getting no nutrients. So obviously... They said I will be quite small because my first start in life was tough. Um, um, and that, just a little bit off but I remember my dad, uh, I was in a hospital in London and we lived in Dagnum. And it was when it snowed really heavy, so there was no transport to London. And my dad walked from Dagnum to, I think it was like some Barts or something, from Dagnum in the snow. And I always remember that about him, like, you know, that, that says a lot to me. Yeah, it's a um, lot of mental toughness, right? So Yeah. Um, and my dad was a roofer, a physical guy as well. So going back to the judo, um, I remember they had this small tournament. I thought, yeah, I'll do it. And I won it. I was like, oh, this, this is good. Like, I got a buzz for competition. Like I'm seven, eight years old. And then there was another, I'll do it. So I just kept like competing and kept winning. Uh, I wasn't even that great at jiu-jitsu, but what I was, where I was a bit shorter and being children that, they're not experienced grapplers and they'd all like reach with one leg to try and trip you. And I realised when I'm on one leg, I'll just time it and sweep them. And that's all I did really. Didn't do nothing, no great Ogoshis or nothing like that. And I, I, I went, they'd done like an Essex tournament. I ended up winning that. It was all going quite well. And then we moved to Rush Green. That's where we lived in Dagnum. It's not far, maybe like three miles. But in, as a kid, it seems far. My mum's like, oh, it's too far to take your judo. I was like, I understand, mum. When I got older, I'm like, mum, you could have took me. It's only a... A bus journey, do you get what I mean? But, you know, it, it is what it is. So, me and my brother still caught fighting, but I still wanted to go back to judo. And then uh, my brother says, it's a boxing club. I said, let's go boxing. 
So, and I, I grew up watching like Rocky, love Rocky, just do the press ups, then Bruce Lee films. And this is a bit of a funny story. So me and my brother, we watched Bloodsport and Kickboxer. And uh, you've seen them, right? Yeah, hundred <laughs> times. I'm going to tell this story. It is pretty crazy. So notice that bit in one of them when they stretch him on the rope. So me and my brother decide we're going to do this. Like you were kids, we think this is real training. Like this is what you got to do to be a martial artist. So I t- my brother goes first, not me. So I tie him to two trees and we start stretching him. So he gets so far, but obviously it's makeshift time around the tree. He face plants on the concrete with his arms, head cut open. Mum goes crazy. We're like, no, we see that in Bloodsport. It's what we've got to do. We used to do all this. We used to do really crazy stuff. We used to get ice out of the fish pond, break it like karate kid. Just real crazy stuff when we look back. But I know it's what we did. We want to be martial artists. So anyway, we start going boxing. And uh, I remember very, very quickly, my, my brother was just very durable. Like, like he just walks through punches. Like, oh. And I weren't really that good at it. And I was like, oh, I was good at judo, but I ain't very good at this boxing. And then uh started training. Like I always do, obsess about things. I'm like, okay, he was open twice twice a week. Okay, I'm going to start running as well. Let's buy some gloves. Let's start boxing. Now me and him are fighting at home, boxing. And uh, at the time... Um, my mum wouldn't buy us two pairs of boxing gloves, so we only had one. So I'd be like, you hit me, and I've just got to move. That's, so it was head movement. We'd take turn each year. Then we got bag mitts. So he'd have bag mitts, and I'd have real... We shouldn't really be sparring bag mitts, but, you know, I was getting black eyes. I think we are about 12, 13 now. And then uh, I started to notice, that for my size, I was doing very well. Um, and I believe every human being has some gifts. I'm not flexible especially for a jiu-jitsu go, I'm not overly fast, but I had very heavy hands, which don't help me at all in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I started at 14 and 15, I started hitting people, and generally kids don't put, people used to go over. And um, the guy spoke to my dad and said, look, I think he should box. The problem was I was like 52 kilos, and I'm 15 now. They just couldn't get me matches. So then we had to take fights against quite high-level people. Um, won my first match, lost my second, but I had to fight a guy called Peter McDonough, who's a professional boxer. And he was he had something like eight fights. It was my second fight. And then my third fight, I remember my boxing coach saying to me, listen, I wouldn't normally take this fight. The guy's undefeated. He's 4-0. It's not a lot, but and he go, and I've had uh, a win a, a, and two losses at the time. But fighting very experienced people, he goes, I think you should just take it. Just get some time and you can do the London fits. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I went, and now I'm a bit older. I'm at college, Barking College, I'm at. He goes the same college at me. I can't, I can't lose to someone going to the same college as me. Everyone's talking about it. And um, I'm like, no, I'm going to train like a lunatic. So I train like a lunatic. Not, not stretching each other out no more. I had to pull up bar indoors and weights and go running every day. And, uh, we're, 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 and I catch him with a left hook and he goes over. I end up stopping this guy. And then uh, my coach was like, we can get you one more fight. We can send you to the London feds. It's quite cool. I was like, how oh, am I going to do that? And uh, I end up going to work for the summer for a guy doing landscape gardening. And I end up lifting a concrete slab and pulling my back really bad. So I end up not boxing for a while. Tried to go back. It kept playing up. So I actually had physically stopped boxing. I was in an awful lot of pain. Um, I compressed the disc, basically. My brother carried on boxing. He ends up boxing for England. Um, 
representing England four or five times, getting to the finals of the ABA. He's really, really doing well. And there was a little bit of envy there. Do you get what I mean? Like, I'm proud of my brother, but it's like, I was better than you. He ended up way better than what I ever achieved. Um, but um, I feel like I could have done the same thing. He turned professional. He ended up not taking it much further. And uh, I must be in 20s now, back still playing up. And I am in Dagnum. And I see a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu place. But I think it's a video place because I, I was watching Hoist Gracie on the UFC. And I see, I'm like, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted. Then I was telling all my friends, going, there's this guy, Hoist Gracie, you'd beat Mike Tyson. They're like, no, he wouldn't. And I said, listen, I'm a boxer. I'm telling you, you'd beat him. And they're like, no. So I go in there. I said, oh, you sell videos. And then uh, this guy called Andy, and he had pride and all that stuff. DVD, sorry, that was. And I remember getting um, this buying them and the, the Gracie instructional, like the original, original ones, you know. And I thought it blew my mind. And then he went, by the way, we do training at the back. I said, can I, can I speak to the coach? So I see Mark Walder. And if you don't know Mark Walder, he's one of the first black belts in, in the UK. He got it from Maurizio, fabulous guy. Um, without him, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, and uh, he goes, yeah, we, we teach. I said, I've got a little problem. I said, I think I only can do the technique. He said, why is that? He goes, Got, I've got a compressed disc in my back. It's very painful, but I still would love to. He goes, yeah, it's fine. You ain't got a spa. I said, okay. I've got a back. And I, I said, I feel my, my back don't feel this bad. Like, Jiu-Jitsu actually started helping my back, movement, strength. Like, I think I can spar. So I started sparring. Get absolutely... I actually thought I'd do quite well because I was good at judo and boxing and I just got destroyed. Like, and at the time, it weren't like now. There was, he was a blue belt teaching. We didn't have black belts teaching at the time. Not UK guys. The only yeah. black belts were like... So people coming over, they weren't UK black belts. And uh, back then they didn't mix weight division. I was getting crushed by everyone. And ribs were hurting, but my back was all right. And I gradually started getting better and better and um, still a white belt. And um, he goes, there's a tournament, the Seni. Uh, did you hear about the Seni? It's like one of the first jiu I said, I'll do it. He goes, what about your back? He'll be all right. <laughs> so I go, I go and do Seni, I win it as a white belt. Yeah, I win it, I'm like, I like this. So, and uh, I'm going to compete more. So I do send you the following year. I didn't win. And then he goes, we're doing a trip to Brazil. There's a world championships in Brazil. Well, I'm in. He goes, oh, you can't compete because you're a white belt. It goes from blue. I'm like, okay, I'll just come. I'll train out there. So I'm in Gracie Bahia in, in Baja. So he was connected to them. And you had, the Roger was there. Bradley Osteen was there. This is before I think they were even in the UK. And then you had people like Marcin Fatoza, all these legends, and there's me. Like, wow, flown away. So I'm sparring. I was actually doing all right over them, like against other blue belts, even though I'm a white belt. So I, I thought I'd be really out of my depth. So we, we go shopping. We go, we go shopping and we're in um, like a shopping mall and they've got a shop, vitamins and minerals. So they do wacky geese and they had a red gear. I mean, I'm going to buy a red gear. Like everyone's like, Spence, don't be in Brazil, being a gringo, wearing a red gear. You go, Everyone wears white and blue. Don't buy it. I'm wearing it. So <laughs> I walk in there. Everybody destroyed me. Absolutely. It's like gringo in a red gear. I had sunburnt as well. And Marcin Vitoza come up to me and goes, oh, you think you're a red devil? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I got so beat up. Looking back, I devoted it on myself. You did know what you, mean? did like, you wear it again that game? Yeah, what? I wore it the whole time. I thought it was amazing. Like, but I'm young. Like I'm, like I'm a bit carried away. Like, you know, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And uh, now you see them all the time, right? But it was like, no one wore red geese back then. 
Yeah, Nick, you know you, Nick Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, whenever people used to turn up to Mill Hill, especially sort of if white belts, blue belts, with a brightly coloured gear. Yeah, you you'd go at them, right? Yeah, Nick used I to I did say, that in Brazil, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, great story at the end. So unlike registering online now, you used to go to this hut and used to register for the, the World Championships like with cash and you had this little plastic card. But I couldn't register because I'm a white belt, so... I go to 21 day and everyone lines up, all the, everyone in Brazil. And then they, uh, they call me out for my blue belt. So I'm thinking, I can compete. That's what I care about. I'm happy. I've got my blue belt in Brazil. So I, I go uh, and register. And then there's another guy with us, another blue belt guy. Um, I won't say his name because he's been a bit negative. He's like, what are you going to do the welds for? He's like, just got your blue belt. Like, you're going to do anything? I said, I want to compete. See what happens, innit? So everyone goes. No offense, everyone, everyone else lost and got subs. I never got subbed. I lost on two points. And the guy I lost to ended up getting to the semi-finals. I'm like, I've only just got my blue belt in Brazil. And I'm like, that ain't too bad, you know? So I went back, a bit more confident. And I remember being on the UK scene. I weigh 57 kilos. I'm very, very light. I'm heavier now. And I couldn't get fights. I was just setting 70 kilos, just whatever. And I won't get many wins, but I was always competing now. And... Um, the pack started getting better. I started improving. Um, and I gradually started thinking, oh, one day I want to be a world champion. Um, I used to travel to Brazil. Even when if the other people didn't go, I'd go. And then they moved it to America. Um, and I, med I meddled at some welds. Don't get me wrong, I was very light, so there weren't many people in my division. I meddled at blue and purple, uh, the Europeans. And also I took double bronze at the welds. But I was in small brackets of five and six. But I remember just thinking, I just want a medal, I just want a medal, because no one from the UK was meddling. And I look back now and I sold myself very short, because my goal was to get on the podium. It weren't to win, which was the wrong mentality at the time. Um, then I'm competing quite regular, doing, doing well. Um, and this guy walks, and then I get asked to teach in a gym in Origin, this is where I am now to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm a brown belt. I'm like, yeah, I started teaching. Started off with four students. Six six months in, still four students. I sit down with my dad at Christmas. He's like, Spence, how's the club going? I said, I've only got four students. He goes, how much it cost you rent? I said, uh, 25 pound each class. He goes, let me do the math. He goes, you're losing money. What, what are you doing this for? I said, dad, it's going to grow. He said, you don't do business if you don't make your business money. I said, it will grow. I believe in it. And gradually four turned into five, six, eight. Word started to spread. Then I started meddling at some big tournaments and more people were coming to me. Um, ended up with like 15 students. And then we outgrew the room. What, what year roughly? Oh, I'm really that. terrible with dates. Ten years ago? More? Mm. Yeah, maybe about ten years. I've been, actually, no, about 15 years ago. So I've been a black, I'm a third degree black belt now. Right. So yeah, I was still a brown belt teaching. Um, and we was in, in there one day and this guy comes in goes, um, I'm looking for MMA fighters I said we don't really do MMA in here I said what weight division are we looking for he goes 61 kilos he goes I said I'm, I'm under that I said I'll do it he goes you ever fought before I said no. I'm, I'm sensing a female <laughs> <laughs> I said I'll do it I go, All right. so I ring my brother up I said Ross remember he's the express I said I need you to come back coach me boxing alright because I've, I've only been doing jujitsu Okay, let's do an MMA fight. So it's in Kent, 
um, this MMA fight. So I have an opponent. I know a guy called Will Butler, similar size, happy with that. Turn up at night. Uh, well, I teach so many students now. I've got like 30, 40 students. I'm very well known locally. I've been a crowd of like 200 people. I right? said, so the promoter loves me. Right? You're talking like 50 pound tickets here. I'm, I've sold 200. I made something like four grand, more than what good fighters, my first fight, four grand. I'm like, this is really easy money. So he turned up and goes, your opponent's pulled out. I said, what? I said, I've got, I've got 200 people watching me fight. He goes, I've got a replacement. He goes, his Xbox, you don't really know too much. I said, oh, that's all right. He goes, bit of a problem. He's a lot heavier than you. I said, how heavier? He goes, about 78 kilos. I'm, I'm under 60. I went, yeah, I'll take it. Right? Really naive of me, really naive of me. I see this guy. I thought he'd be like, Charbit, he's six foot two, lean, ripped. I was like, oh, I've got, we've got to remember, like, I ain't done MMA before. I've got jujitsu and boxing, but I ain't even got wrestling. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, we'll do it. Anyway, so the first round goes, it, and it's hard. Like, he's hitting me with some big shots. There's no way I can outbox this guy, I just reach. And I'm trying to take him down, but he keeps holding on the cage, and it's a bit of a Mickey Mouse show. It's not, it's not like a UCMA or CFC. He's an ex-dormant trying to make some money. And my, one of my corner guys goes, he's holding on the cage. I said, right, bang the cage when he's holding it. So um, anyway, so I get him against the cage, and he's hitting me down like this. But when he's so tall, it's pretty... My eyes start watering and my nose starts going. I go back to the corner, I'm going to be completely nice. I'm like, I don't think I can beat this guy. I was a bit, bit disheartened. And my corner guy is going, Spence, you can beat him. You just got to get him in the floor. I said, all right. So I get him down and then that's it. Like I start ground and pounding him and I get the choke and I win. I, and a um, few months, yeah, I keep getting watery eyes. It works out. Years later, I got an x-ray. I actually broke my eye socket at the side, but it healed naturally. But I didn't know. In, in the fight. Um, so the guy then asked me to fight again. Um, oh, and I'm like, yep, yeah, I'll do it. Typical. Uh, so I'm now going to fight another guy in the show. But in the meantime, i trying to think how, who I fought next. Did I fight back on that show next? I think I'll fight on another show in between. And I fight an experienced guy, win. Another one in Kemp. And then I get to fight Will Butler. Because I sell so many tickets, they give me a title shot. It's not a real title shot. It's a small show. But it's like their championship. And Claudio Silva used to fight on there as well. Um, so I go for this title shot against Will Butler. The guy's million. And it's very one-sided. I'll take him down. And everyone's now like, you're the man. you got to remember, I'm fighting on a small show, but I'm believing the hype. I'm like, I'm the man. I've made another four grand. So now I've had like three fights, made 10 grand or whatever it is, more than that. And I've won all my fights in the first round or second round. I'm like, here's easy money. So I was meant to use the money to go to jiu-jitsu tournaments, which I do. I go to the Wells, Nogi's in California. So I'm in, I go to California and I'm a little bit heavy over there where I've been fighting a bit of MMA. You naturally just bulk up. So me being me, there's not internet like it was now. Um, I stay in this place in California that tourists don't really do, right? Basically, it's next to Compton, right? So I'm staying right in Compton. So I've got to, I've got to, I've got to find a gym and go in the sauna. No word of a lie. I'm in the sauna. It's just full of Mexican, look like cartel. They're like, hey, homie, what are you doing in there? I'm like, can't wait for a fight. They're like, oh, they, they all start chatting to me. I'm so naive, right? Looking back, I like, put myself in... Somewhere I shouldn't really be going. They're like, yeah. 
So um, um, <laughs> I go and compete and I, I lose on, uh, on an advantage. Guy runs away and I really get disheartened with jiu-jitsu. I'm like, I spent all this money out of here. I didn't even get to grapple. And then uh, I'm like, I'm going to do one more jiu-jitsu. I go with my friend Luke, Luke Lemoud. He was under Mark as well. And the same sort of thing. <coughs> we stay in a dodgy area again. Because <laughs> I still ain't got clued up with America. But Luke's, he's a wonderful jiu-jitsu guy, but he's super forgetful. He leaves his passport, his bag, his suitcase, all on the train. Right? Which goes through Compton and Inglewood. So we get off and we go to a local police station and we go, we've lost his passport. Proper naive 20-year-olds or whatever we are now. <laughs> the police officer goes, lads, you need to get out of this area before the sun goes down. It's not safe. I'm like, all right. So I said, look, I need to go to the toilet. So we go, I go into McDonald's and uh, this big guy, reminds me of Biggie Smalls, like the big guy. He opens the door for me and I go, cheers, mate. And he goes, what would you say? I said, cheers, mate. He goes, say thank you, homie. I said, what? And he lifts up his jacket. He shows me a gun. I went, thank you. <laughs> I go, Luke, he's just showed me his gun. He goes, what did you do to him? I said, I just said, cheers, mate. He goes, I don't think they understand what that means. <laughs> so we get out of there. We both did a weld. Um, works out. At the first part, I'm winning the match. And the second part, I go behind. And I go, Luke, all you've got to do is tell me the score. He goes, you're winning. He was looking at the wrong score. I was losing, right? So... Now I'm back, get back to I'm like, right, I'm done with jujitsu at the minute. I'm just concentrating on MMA. I don't know if I told this the right way around about fighting building. I have to fight a guy called Ben Hajir. Now, there's a history. This is quite a cool little story. So Ben Hajir used to train with me under Mark Walder, Michael Russell, Luke, Adam Edwards. We're all friends. We're all really cool. So the promoter says, uh, Ben Hajir wants to fight you. I said, no, I don't want to fight him. I said, we used to train together with friends. He goes, they've asked for it. Now, I think the promoter was stirring it up. And I'm very, my whole being as a human, my belief system is about respect. I'm like, that's very disrespectful. They're calling me out. Like, we're friends. Like, I don't know what it's about. So I took it very personal. So the promoter's stirring it up. Yeah, they really want to get you because you're a local club. Because they're MMA clinic. Um, and they're teaching over at Romford and I'm Raynham. So I'm like, they want to make, they're putting one of their best students against me, make me look bad. This is mostly Nate True, by the way. None of this mostly Nate True, but this is our so, oh, I'm going to train super hard. You're like, I'll train like an absolute lunatic. Um, <laughs> I was doing like crazy things like pull ups with gas masks, weight. Like, I'm like, there's no way I'm losing. Like, I look back at some stuff, like, why did I ever do this stuff? Just running with sledges, pushing, like, like proper lunatic anyway. So the fight happens. And so what happened? This. Then a lot of people left Mark, so I'm still under Mark, and started their own club. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you left, you were disrespectful to our team. I made up all these stories in my head. None of it true. They just started their own thing. So first round starts, and, I, and people have been getting in my again. He says, stand up wise, he's going to destroy you. Like, he's a good tie fight. I'm like, I'm going to stand with him. Remember, I told you I was a very good boxer. First round happens, I catch him with a, just on YouTube, I catch him, I grab him and then hit him with a cut. Uppercut, he goes straight down. Ground and pound, really no good choke win. Me being hype calls out their head instructor's Mike, because I believe he arranged the fight. He's about three weight divisions before me. I'm like, you next, what have you? I upset everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I upset everybody. Just, but I, I got myself so pumped for this fight, and I really took it personal. 
he used to come, we all talk, we're all friends, by the way. I, I speak to Ben Hedgier now sometimes, and uh, he goes, I honestly thought someone threw a bottle in the cage. It was that hard. I said, no, nah, I hate you. <laughs> but he thought someone threw a bottle in there. And um, we're all cool now, but it, um, it was like a bit of a rivalry. And then for, ever since we, had, we used to have... Because then when I got into MMA, people started joining my club for now MMA as well as Jiu-Jitsu. And I was like, okay, I'll start teaching it. But if you look at it, I, I weren't an experienced MMA guy. I just chucked myself in. I had some boxing, some Jiu-Jitsu. And I fought on CFC and I fought a guy called Jody who was a very good wrestler, super strong. And he out-wrestled me and I was like, okay, I need to learn wrestling. This is how my pro... I didn't have a coach. Self-taught. So I had Jiu-Jitsu, boxing. I'm like, now I need wrestling. I'll get a guy called Pete... Uh, wrestling coach from Poland he's my wrestling coach and I just start putting it all together um, and I had a good good run um, I went my best I was about 8 and 2 knocked out Corey Tate for the UCMA title and 8 and 2 gets you in the UFC now this guy's 4 and 2 and then I carried on fighting I know it was too long I started fighting like 38 39 to 40s that's when I started getting lots of losses broke my eye socket had metal plate put in snapped my bicep tendon and I was like do you know what I'm and that's when I got on the big shows, your Bella tours. But I was done. I was done. I was, I was past my best. I was fighting like I weren't using my left hand properly because of bicep tear. I rushed everything back. I never had anyone in my head saying, "Slow down. Let things heal. You've had a broken eye, so you got to build your confidence. Let the bicep." I was like, "Just fight, fight, fight." Like because I thought the more fights I get, more chance I get on the UFC. And I was wrong. Um, looking back, but I had a good team. We had a very good team. I had some guy called Makunga, Carlton. Everyone's records were like 6-0, and 4-0, and 2-1. and one. We had a really good team. Self-taught, really. Just my jiu-jitsu, wrestling that I learned, and my boxing. And then we brought a Thai coach in as well. And then I got a bleed on the brain. From a fight? Mm, through training, training camp. So went to hospital. It ain't as bad as what we thought. Um, doctor comes in and goes, you've got a bleed. They've done a scan. So the first thing you do is Google. <laughs> Bleed on, they're going to cut your skull open, they're going to do this, you might, wife's crying. <laughs> I'm sitting there devastated. Okay. The doctor leaves us, I ain't lying, for 45 minutes, and I'm Googling this, I'm, I'm going to die. But I'm really like super calm, like, I said to my wife, Look, if it's the end of me, like, you know, it's money. <laughs> so what can you do? Yeah. I said, if they have to cut my head open, it is what it is. So the doctor comes in and says, Look, you've got a small bleed, it wills, it looks like it's healing you can't take any more contact you know for at least six months so okay i was meant to fight phil harris actually on ucma for the title that's what i was in training for i had to cancel that so that's it boom, boom, boom. go back for a checkup a few years later and i get a really cool doctor he goes it's all real you can fight again i said what do you mean fight again because you can fight again i said nah <laughs> i promised my wife i won't do it anymore so i go back start still teaching i start doing something I need to do something. I'm going back to jiu-jitsu. So um, I go back to jiu-jitsu. I want to compete again. So I start wanting to compete. Doing local tournaments. Because remember, I've been away from the games for so long. I get asked to fight on Polaris, get heel hooked very quickly. The game's changed. People are using heel hooks. You know, I, I weren't, they weren't a thing. So I need to get better. So I start really studying the game, getting, getting better. Um... And then I do a tournament and I fight Val Moneto. Um, we had a bit of a... He was meant to fight him and maybe started arguing. He, was just, he kept saying, hey, well, I'll show you the real black belt. Take it personal again. 
well, I'll show you like this, you know. We don't end up fighting anyway. So uh, we have a good – and he's, he's phenomenal. He, he gets me in a, a knee bar. And even though we had this sort of what people call like a beef or whatever, he's like, come and train. I said, all right, we'll come and train together. And I remember driving there. We had quite a lot of words. I think, I'm driving to this guy's gym. I'm going to train with all his teammates. I'm on my own. And we had like some words. Do you get I called him some names. He called me. Hey, you'll be setting me up here. I'm like, oh, well, we're going to see what's going to happen. We roll. And I'm going to be brutally honest, their level of jiu-jitsu was higher. Okay, um, I was a black belt. Some of the brown belts were tapping me out. And uh, I was a little bit out of my depth. There's levels of black... I never realised this, you know. So I started training with them on a regular. Start improving, getting better. I go back to tournaments and I, I went to grapple industries and I start improving and I'm like, okay. I feel like I'm improving but I'm training somewhere else. I need to go back to Mark and... Um, need to discuss it so I speak to my wife and I said look I've been with Mark for an awful long from white belt all the way up to black belt he's got me so far but you know I'm always getting the bronzes or silver I said he's going more self-defense route he ain't, I ain't got the network of the team I have the option of going over to Chetmat now he said I can come over but you know I feel very loyal to him and she says one thing to me do you want to say loyal to your your, your instructor to a dream. I said, I know what I need to do. So I sit down and have coffee. He's cool, he understands, you know. And even though I've achieved a lot now, he got me on the journey. All right, he, I don't think I'd won the Europeans and stuff under him because not the competition network and stuff, but fabulous human being, a great instructor. Learned a lot off of him. Um, and he did create jiu-jitsu in our area. You know, Michael Russell, Luke Lamoud, all the guys in our area came from him. Like he produced all the other clubs. Um, so I start training with now. <coughs> I get affiliated under Chetmat. And then I was like, do you know what? I don't want to be turning up because we do a Wednesday training that's brown and black belt only. I don't want to be that worst guy in the room no more. So I start really putting in the work. And now we've got instructionals. We've got your, your BJJ fanatics. And uh, I'm an obsessive person. And this is how it went. I would train in the morning for two hours, do my strength and conditioning, two hours in the evening, teaching and rolling. When I woke up in the morning, I'd study for two hours watching jiu-jitsu, um, breaking it down. I'd spend another two hours at night watching instructionals. And something I look back on, when I first started studying jiu-jitsu, it was years ago when they, you didn't have instructionals like now, you'd have to wait for the world championships to come out on DVD and you'd watch it and you'd see a move, say it's Marcelo Garcia, he's my favourite. I'm like, what did he do? I'd have to reverse it, put it on slow motion. That's what he's doing, okay. Let's try that. Oh, something's not right. It was a long process, but that's what I had to do. And then he brought his ex-guard book out and Marcelo was like my idol. Um, he was the man. Small, won everything. I liked his game. And so then when instructions come out where it's on your tablet and there's someone talking there, what, this is easy. I was, I was learning quick. I was like, because you remember how I learned before. And uh, I started noticing my level training, training with high level, you know, in Val Monetta was a world champion. Masters world champion, wins everything. So I start improving, start winning rounds now. Like, this, this is happening. And then uh, Val Monetta says something to me, he goes, of all the people I've ever trained with, I've never met anyone so dedicated as you. And this is a guy who's a world champion who trains, 
you know, in Brazil, everywhere. I'm like, really? Now I start believing in myself. I'm like, I, I, I put more in than other people. I need to start winning. Then I start winning some tournaments. And then the guys in the film are like, man, you're getting good, Spence. Like, and when, when someone who's a world champion tells you, like, you can start winning stuff, you start believing it. So he gave me that confidence. And then uh, I started liking the no-gi more. So I started training no more. I still compete in the gi. And this is my turning point. I'll never forget. I go to do the American Nationals in Las Vegas. There's been some other competitions, but nothing significant. Won some grappling industry, stuff like that. And uh, I'd done the gi and I'd done the no-gi. So I'd done the gi on the first day and I took silver. Got to the finals and I lost to a very good guy who's Pan-American champion. He's played a spider guard. Couldn't do, he'd be my advantage. I'm like, tomorrow's no gi. I've got the same guys now. It's my world. We'll see how good you are. And I'm walking to the venue. It's a true story. I'm walking to the venue and it's so hot in Vegas. You've got to sort of dip to the shade. Like it's so hot and the wind is so hot. It's burning my face. Like you can't stay. This is what I said. You can't stay in the sun over here. It's like, it's unbearable. It breaks you. So that's what my jiu-jitsu is going to be like. I'm going to be like the sun, like, like fire, I'm going to make it so uncomfortable and they're going to want to quit. I'm just going to put in so much pressure. And I had it in my head, so I go in my first match. I'm in the final against another Chetmat guy. He's very, very good. He goes two points up. And just before I stepped on the mat, I said to myself, I'm the best in the world. So I never said that before. I'm the best in the world. Got about 40 seconds ago, I go for a cow catcher. That's where you grab the chin and get an underhook and I pass. And he goes to turn, and I flatten him out, he's on his side, but the ref gives him points. So he starts arguing with the referee about points. I look at the clock, it's 10, so I'm like, you know what, if he wants to argue with the ref, I'm going to take his back. So I take his back, get a choke. The timer goes, I let go of the choke, and he kicks off at me. He's like, you put a choke, you, you was already winning, you didn't need to go for the choke. I said, I let go when the buzzer went. Let's have a bit of discussion, a bit of argument. So we get off the mat. I, you know, I've just won gold medal at the American Nationals, my first major tournament. Like, for me to go to America and win over there is a big deal, like, you know. Um, and I thought, I don't want to be arguing with someone. It's not, it's my moment. So I got, he's a Chetmat guy as well. I got up to him to shake his hand. He's like, I don't want to shake your hand. I'm like, <laughs> remember I said, I'm all about respect. I'm like, do you know what? You're an embarrassment to Chetmat you are. You're an embarrassment. So we now have even more of an argument. So then the other guy's cut to me in the bracket. Like, he always kicks off. I said, I don't care. I said, I'm not going to get banned from the tournament, but I ain't going to have someone kick off at me. I hold my own. I think that was all a bit, a bit fiery, the guy was. So anyway, I win, boom. After I get home, I'm so confident. Now, now I've got this belief. Like, I've won a major tournament. It's the London Open. So I go to the London Open. I win my gi match, only one fight. And then no gi, I, I accept a gold medal. No one's there in my division. But the reason I didn't go up a weight is I wanted the points for the welts. So you get seeded. So I'm playing the game a little bit here. I go, I'm going to do the absolute. And everyone goes, you're mad. You're like, like Fev, I said. No, I'm just going to do it. I'll see what happens. So the first fight, I fight a guy from ZR. I can't remember his name, and I'm not exaggerating. He's about six foot four, light heavyweight. I'm like, if I go on the bottom, he's just going to crush me. I'm going to use my wrestling. And if he makes a mistake, I'm just going to win. Vantage point. He, he reaches for a single leg on me. So if you're six foot and you're, you're bringing your neck down, front headlock, boom, drag him down, just go to the back, get two points, win. Everyone goes crazy. Then I get into the finals of fight, another guy, I think he's about middleweight, uh, same getting out, wrestling, past his guard. And uh, it was like the coolest thing, because I've just been in America, 
that weekend. Won the American Nationals. Flew back the following weekend. I've just won the Absolute at London at Black Belt Masters 3. And I had people, it was the first time this ever happened, I had people coming up to me going, man, that was amazing. I've never seen someone small beat someone that, from other clubs. And it really meant something to me. I've never done things to impress other people. But like, you move really quick. And I was like, oh, no, it's footwork. And people asked me questions. And to have everybody there as well. And because... I had a lot of people, Neto was there and all my guys and these guys, all the Chetmat guys, and they was all going mad. So then, because that was making so much noise, everyone come over. It was like the finals of an ad adult black belt, even though it wasn't. Um, and it was just the most amazing experience. And that's where the confidence started coming from. And then I started winning more and more. I went to the Pan Ams, took silver, and then I went to the Wells and I took silver. Won my first fight. And I was in the finals and... I was down on two points and I got chest to chest in half guard. And now, basically, if I get chest to chest and get the knee to the floor, you're pretty much going to pass. And this guy just held onto my foot for 30 seconds. I just couldn't pass. It was like, it's my ankle stopping me being world champion. And uh, I was a bit disheartened. I was a bit, like, disheartened. I really thought it was my time. Like, you know, I, I was firing training. I'd won the American Nationals, won the London Open. I won the Europeans. But it just weren't meant to be. So uh, I'm going back to the Wells this year after winning the Europeans. Um, and uh, the Euro I'm, I'm going back and forth. The Europeans last year, what was special about it? The guy that I beat, beat me the year before, subbed me. So what I love about the tournaments is you can see progression. So this guy beats me. Let's see how much I can improve in a year when we re-meet. Because you fight a lot of the same guys. Yeah. And I beat him on point and one of my brown belts christian took gold at brown belt and another guy called clive who's 65 years old won he's a purple belt at the time purple belt masters Amazing. and then uh as well as myself when it was like okay my coaching i ain't really talk too much about coaching you can be a good fighter but it don't make you a good coach because you have to there's a lot of people that would jump jump to people like, oh, so-and-so's winning and stuff, I'll go to him. He's a, don't mean he's going to be a good coach. One, you have to be able to teach the technique correctly. You have to care enough about each student to m care about their development. So I believe there's a massive difference between an instructor and a coach. When I started jujitsu, you had instructors. You'd go to a class, you'd do a warm-up, they'd show you technique, then you'd spar. That was it. I believe a coach gives you more feedback. He will ask questions. Are you fighting the right way? Are you eating right? Are you doing strength conditioning? What areas you need to work on? I will make, so I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I often pick some of my students sparring. I line up at the end. I know I've seen things online where people hate that. If I've got a 120 kilo brown belt who wants an easy night, guess what he's going to do? He's going to pick the smallest blue belt and sit on him. Both of them. He ain't getting a workout belt, blue belt. So I'll pick my spot. If I see a guy who's maybe a white belt, looks very disheartened, okay, I'll pair him up with another white belt, similar level, have an even match, his confidence comes up. I don't want him going, I know we all get tapped and lose, but I don't want him lose every single round and get disheartened, you know. Or I might get um, 
a guy who I know likes easy rounds. No, you ain't getting an easy round. You're not being the... It's a bully mentality, right? You're just picking on guys you know you can beat. No, you're going to get some tough rounds and you see their face. You know, um, but I see online a lot of people are not fans of that, but I think that's one of the reasons. People like to pick their round. Yeah. Uh, also, let's say, let's say you're doing a tournament, you're one of my guys, and I've looked at the bracket and you're fighting a guy who's very good at spider guard. I'm like, you're going with him. I know that guy's good at spider guard. You get to practice what you're going to come up against in tournament. That's coaching. That's making sure you're getting the right training for the tournament you want. That's why I run it. Like, there's times I let everyone spar. Same as when we do, we do um, guard passing. You do, you stand for two and then you have to pass um, to win. Okay. Um, and the guy on the bottom has to sweep or submit. You know, it's really good. Gets, gets very, very good for tournament. I split the room in half over 76, under 76. I see people like roll their eyes sometimes. I remember when I was doing jujitsu, when I first started there, you didn't, no one ever split weight divisions or nothing else. And we, those people say this. Sometimes you felt after jiu-jitsu, you got hit by a bus. Your neck hurt, shoulder hurt, your ribs hurt. I thought that was jiu-jitsu. It's not. What it is, I'm rolling with a 120 kilo guy who's not experienced enough to bring it down. So he's jumping on me with his knee. He's squeezing my head. I'm 61 kilos. My body ain't designed to take that weight. Now, if the guy's 120 kilos and he drops his weight on you, it ain't 120, it's speed. Yeah. Speed times weight. It's like 300 kilos. My body can't take 300 kilos. It could kill me. Right? And you, I notice you get silly accents, like you might put your hand, you might get caught on the gear and the guy drops his weight, it's 100 kilos pushing you. If he was 60 kilos pushing my back, it's not going to break. It's going to hurt. So something I brought in into my academy was I split the weight division and the injuries went down massively. A lot of clubs start on, on the knees. We start standing. But because there ain't such a weight difference, we don't have so much problem. I also banned certain moves, no jump scissors. Um, the move where you have a body lock and you sit, it's very self-defense. Anything where a load hits the side of the knee. I actually stole this off John Danaher. He has like a moves that he bans in his gym because statistically they have the highest injury rate. And I look at it like if my guys are getting injured, we weaken the team and you want your team as strong as possible. Also, it's no good for business. It's no good for their jujitsu journey. So my priority taking a class, the first thing is safety. Second priority is skill development. Then it's having a hard workout and everything else. So that's why I split the weight divisions um, when we do them sort of drills. Sometimes I let everyone roll, but I do say to them, like, you know, be careful. Um, and the injury rate in my club is so low. We train heel hooks here. Everyone's like, oh, leg lock. There's no heel hook injuries. There's no... I think the only injury we've get, we've had a couple of sh shoulders dislocated. But the people it's happened to is genetic trait. Two brothers it happened to. Their dad has it. So it's just one of the things. So the injury rate by it has gone down so much. So more students on the mat, less injuries, everyone's skills developing. That's what I want. Instead of somebody like, train hard, if you get injured, no, no, that's the backwards mentality. Like, if you look at any other sport, boxing, I, I box, I wouldn't go in there with super heavyweight. Wrestling, do you see super heavyweight wrestlers suplexing? Every sport has a weight combat sports. But I think, I think that's, that's, it, it is changing now a lot. I mean, you probably you know better than I do, but I think because of the, 
the origins of Brazilian jiu-jitsu was for the small guy small to man be able to, to beat, beat the bigger man. Yeah. So it was always like, well, you have to be able to do that, otherwise not real jiu-jitsu. Yeah, exactly. But so from a self-defense point of view, it's true, right? Because if I walked out the street and a hundred kilo guy, I can't go, you're the wrong weight division, mate. No, I would have to fight, okay? But like I said, I've won an absolute before, but I don't really train with the heavy guys. So you adapt your jiu-jitsu to them, them times. You could put another spin on that. Back then, we're talking about you fighting a big guy with no skills. Exactly. When we're talking uh, a, a 120 kilo brown belt squishing a blue belt, there's even more chance of him injuries, if, unless he's a really sensible guy. There, there are some heavy guys I still roll with because they're very sensible. Um, and I'll put, see the self-defense side. Thing. You can, I could even argue that. Okay, if you're, I don't know, 70 kilo guy and you're training with everyone of every size, now you've got bad ribs... Bad neck. Now you get in a fight and the guy grabs you. You're like, I got you got bad ribs and a bad neck. Well, your self defense ain't gonna be really good now. Yeah, but if he was fit and healthy, yeah, and you knew uh, jujitsu, Kev Kev Capel said, said when he was thing. on. You know, he said um, your your training should empower you and yeah. make you better, not injure you and make you weaker. Yeah, yeah, and and he said, you know, the, the last totally thing I agree. want is to be walking down the street with a bad knee and someone starts on you. Then your self defense is out the window. Right? Bad knee. Yeah, and it's the same as a. Uh, no, people are going to disagree with me. This is it's my opinion. It's like, I actually feel like if you want to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for self... Well, actually, let's talk self-defense in a whole. Let's say you go to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu <coughs> self-defense class and you learn, I don't know, how to... Someone grabs you around the neck, you throw them over, he throws a punch, you do the traditional block. Okay, and you're doing that three days a week. Do the odd self-defense sparring. And I give, I'll get you another guy, okay? This guy's going to do Thai boxing twice a week, sports jiu-jitsu twice a week, and wrestle once a week. And them two have a fight. We all know who's going to win. Not the self-defense guy. Yeah, but that's not self-defense. It is. But what about if he's got a gun? Well, if he's got a gun, you're going to be dead anyway, so let's be realistic. Or if there's three people. Like, the only true self-defense where you are going to come out is a one-on-one -on -one situation. There are times, you know, you get the genetic guy who can... Hit, hits one person to go down, but generally it's there. You might have enough knowledge to get yourself out. Um, same as, you know, I know guys who crave my go and they're like, now we learned to defend off seven people. I said, okay, defend me off and I tap them. And I go, well, you can't beat one of me. So how the heck are you going to beat seven of me? Yeah. You see their face going, oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very unrealistic. I mean, it's, it's something um, I've, I've talked about a few times on the podcast is uh, Jeff Thompson. Yeah. Um, you know, I've read he, his books and his yeah, stuff. interesting and, guy. And he and he and he kind of in the end distilled down um, self defense and fighting. He said you you need to be able to grapple, yeah, and you need to be able to hit really fucking hard. Hard, yeah, to take so, so you can hit out, someone yeah. hard enough that he said he said you either knock them out or they realize they don't want to fight you, mm -hmm. or it becomes a scuffle and you need to be able to grapple exactly but i mean you know like you're saying it, unless you're doing it five times a week or four times a week your timing and everything else won't be there exactly so it, it becomes irrelevant exactly. unless you're you constantly and especially the sparring like it. i ain't boxed for an awful long time and then a few months ago, i was like i'm gonna do some rounds with some mma guys once he hit the floor fine so everyone but even though i'm a pro mma I'm, my timing was so off and you can hit a punch bag, you can hit bags. I don't, you don't have to, obviously I had a bleed on the brain, so I don't want to be sparring hard for things to come back. But even if you just do sparring like, like you're still getting range. Range for, for striking is so important. I'd even say for 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially if you're looking for self-defense down, you don't want to, you've got to get the takedown. You want to be on top. You don't want to be on the bottom. You have to find the range to, to take the guy down without getting struck. So range is important again. Something I've, through studying through the years, is in combat sports, there is some things that go all across the board. Understanding range. Inside position. Okay, boxing. Whoever has hand, can land inside. Thai boxing. You have the inside pummels, you can throw knees. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. If you want to escape side control, you have to have everything inside. You want to attack legs, you want two legs inside. Wrestling. Inside tyres, you generally dominate. There's a few exceptions, but generally. When you shoot, you want your leg inside. Inside position is always so important in... Um, Combat sport. Even though we have boxers next door in the room, next door some really high level guys. We did have B. Joe Saunders. We have got Mark Tibbs and Jimmy Tibbs. They're quite famous boxers because they've got some really good pros. Pros there. Uh, Johnny Fisher's coming up, and uh, every now and again he goes, "Because listen, to this guy. This guy knows about fighting. He because I don't really listen to anyone else outside boxing. Get get in there and uh, show him how to control inside position. And you see him, like, and then sometimes I see him fighting and they're using it. Just I'm like. This is quite cool, like, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes when boxers get, they hold over each other, I'm like, no, no, just get your arms inside and then you can, they're like, oh, yeah. And just them, but it's not, it's a, it's a concept of fighting that runs true through the whole lot. And once you find that. Yeah, they're, they're really, those, those kinds of insights are really invaluable. Because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've had the, the similar kind of experience. There's, there's times where you, Someone shows you something or you, you see something or you work exactly. out something. And, and it changes like, your game forever. Everything. Yes. Everything becomes different. And I'm glad you brought it up because I, I, I did want to mention is sometimes as instructors we teach technique and we focus on technique. Sometimes it's more important to teach concepts and rules. And I don't mean rules in the, I mean rules of things to do and not to do. So sometimes I'll go, right, today's class we're working on the concept of inside position, okay? You're inside control, I need to get your inside frame in, inside frame, knee, inside the hip insertion point. We, our focus is to get inside position, okay? So we do that one, position, then we pick another position. Maybe mount, you need to get your elbow inside, his leg, inside position, hand in the hip, work your elbow, okay? Okay, do we all see in the common denominator? Yeah, okay. Then I might go into some wrestling, sort of more stand-up stuff. To do a trip, you get the inside head tie, boom, inside leg. So I'm not teaching, I'm just teaching a concept here. Now my guys go to fight, okay? And you, I, I hear people, I'm not knocking people, but I'm just going to be at a tournament, more pressure, 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 squash him, squash him. More work, work, work. Okay, then I'll sit down nice and calm. You need to get inside position. Okay, it's inside position. I need you to look to isolate a limb. Okay, he's over, he's overextending. Make him overextend. Nice, nice. You know what to do now. What we've been working last week, guy gets finished. See the other coach look. Why? To this day, I do not know. You'll have a team. You'll have all the students there and the coach and all of them are screaming and shouting different advice. If I asked you to do a math sum right now and ask seven people to start shouting different advice, you'd be very confused. Yeah. So why do we do it in jiu-jitsu? I say to my guys, guys, when I'm coaching, one voice, please. 
sometimes there'd be someone else from another chat mat and I'd be coaching, they start chatting and I have to be quite abrupt. I say, guys, I'm not being rude, but I'm the coach, he's my student, I know you're chat mat as well, but we have one voice. Sorry, Spencer, sorry. I think, I mean, I guess that comes as well from calm. competing a lot. Right? I need to be calm. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know when when I competed, loads of people screaming at me. It, was, it actually used to irritate me. Yeah. I used to be like, can you just shut up? I know what I've got to do. Calm, constructive advice, okay? You also hear, yeah, a lot of people are good at coaching when their guy's doing well. When they, when they get in a bad position, they go quiet. No, no, that's when he needs you the most. Yeah. That's when he needs you the most. Okay. He's now he's now stuck in uh, a, I don't know, a guillotine, okay? He's got a few seconds. You need to give him some good advice, like the you know, older ears, reach over the head, okay. But it's often hard to tell people technique. You just have to give them them simple instructions. You know, I um, think it's difficult as well. I mean, you you obviously have much more experience than me, but through I, I used to do kung fu when I was younger, yeah, cool, and then now the jujitsu is is that you if you're in the, the middle of a bout. You've kind of got your idea of what you mm -hmm. want to go and what you're feeling, and I know it looks yep. like this guy ain't strong, but he feels strong, strong yeah. feels heavy, or this he's always blocking me on one side or whatever. And and from the coaching side, they can't necessarily feel get that. that, so they're like, you need to, you know, go to the left. I'm like, if I go left, it's gonna smash me. I can feel it. You also, I think I say this to my students as well. Listen, I'm gonna coach you, and I'm telling you, but if you feel something different to what I'm saying and you believe it, trust yourself. I mean, that's very important because I can't feel everything. Um, I'll give you a good example. I had one of my guys fight him and I said, to beat, I, 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 when my guys compete, I watch you, they're going to, I look at the bracket, work out roughly who I believe is going to be in a fight. So one of my, my, my guys, very, very, very good guy, he's fighting another very good guy. I say, I think you should you stand up, be on top. I think this guy's not as good on the bottom. He goes, I've really been working my bottom game. I said, okay, I'll let you call it. It's your choice. I said, it's your fight, but that's what I believe. And he ended up losing. But I didn't say, I told you so. Like, you don't say that. And he said to me afterwards, he goes, you're right. I said, so I said, listen, sometimes you should listen to me. Sometimes you trust yourself. You've got to learn when. And I, I say to my, my guys, sometimes this I can't make a tournament. I might have, like the Europeans, I was at the Europeans, but I had some other guys fighting at another tournament. And I, and I know someone's like, oh, man, you ain't going to beat it, I say. The coaching's really in the gym. It's the skills and knowledge and stuff. On the day, it's a little bit of advice. You've already been, I've already got you where you need to be. And uh, I'm going to say this, I'm very proud of this. Uh, this weekend, yes, I took gold. The guy who won the purple belt, 6'5", he won brown belt as well. So he's two-time European champion at brown. And a guy called Petru, he's a Romanian guy. And... Uh, He's a bit of a, I don't know his history, but I reckon he's a bit of a naughty fellow anyway. Someone tried to stab him and he grabbed the knife and it cut his tendon. So his hands like, this finger won't move. So you think, uh, like, you, got, you can't grab. So he goes into blue belt. He's been, he won the ADC in London. So he, I, said, I watched him training. And when he come to me, he didn't speak very good English. This is what I love about jiu-jitsu. Language, cultures, we're all equal. Right? That's what I love about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He don't really speak too good English. He's getting better now. And uh, when he first came, he's strong, he's strong. Just grab everyone headlocks. I'm like, Petra, I know you're strong, but headlocks don't work in Jiu-Jitsu. For two years, he'd still do bloody headlocks. I was like, this guy, no. listen. <laughs> I get really frustrated. But he was, he had that fight. He was just a fighter. 
And I said, Bill kept taking his back. I said, listen, look, it's the headlock. It's the headlock. Show him. I know it feels natural, but certain things that are natural are not correct. There are some things we do naturally that I believe is, you know, we take the back quite naturally. As kids, you watch kids spar, they jump on each other's back. It's natural. But headlock's not, it seems natural, but it's wrong. For Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we need to untrain. Stops doing headlocks. Now, just before we enter the Europeans, I, I taught um, a thing where you shoot for a double leg, and when they sprawl, you go up to body lock and do a shrug, and then you go straight to the back. So you got to remember this guy that all used to do that. He comes out, first fight, boom, does that, take the guy's back, wins. Oh, that was lovely jujitsu. Second fight does the same thing, wins gold. And in the whole fight, he do not speak the best English. Whenever he does that, right, I just went, he smiles. You know what is? He's so one of them guys. He's got such, he's got such a good respect for me. If I'm happy, he's happy. And uh, yeah, he won gold, and I gave him his purple belt. Added. I don't normally do that, but he deserved it so much. And. Uh, it's very, I'm going to jump off side, but go back. I often speak to other coaches and I go, that's a club. And they all say the same thing. I've got this 16-year-old, really good. Okay. I'll speak to another. I've got this 18-year-old, phenomenal. If someone asks me, I'm a class, I've got loads of good guys. I've got Clive, he's 65. I've got this 19-year-old. Do you know what? The whole team's good. That's coaching. We all can have, every gym's got one guy who's really dedicated, athletic. That's not down to your coaching. He might just be dedicated. If I can get a 65-year-old good, a guy who speaks hardly English, a 19-year-old kid, and it's across the board, that's coaching. Don't get me wrong, I've still got them guys who are really dedicated and are really good. And yeah, I mean... I, that, I don't know. that makes me so proud. I don't just want to get one good guy. I want, I want the guy who can't speak half of it, uh, very good English, not athletic, got a disabled hand, and he goes and wins a European. That makes me proud. Yeah, someone, I can't remember who it was. It was either on the podcast or I heard it somewhere else said that you, you don't don't judge me on my best student, judge me on my worst student. Perfect. I mean, I think... Obviously, I mean, you can't judge on the guy who's only been training a month. No, no. But, guy, but say you've got a guy who's been with you two years or three years. The, yeah, the, judge him the on The least him. talented guy is Perfect. the guy you judge on. I agree on, right? with You that, know, the yeah. one who's, you know, he's, he's got some mm -hmm. injuries or he's got some physical problems or whatever. How good is he? How rather you than your, this guy could have been... In any sport, top five percent in the world, right? It doesn't matter what yeah. he does. He's Whatever just academy was that, he was going to be good, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, but it's yeah. it's the it's the it's the average people when they get good, you know, it's down to the the teaching, the coaching, yeah. the environment, the the other students. Um, yeah, I mean, but I, I I I think by the sounds of it, it's just because you are so invested in all the little bits and pieces mm -hmm. rather than just you competing or getting a couple of guys yeah. to win gold medals or making the most amount of money or whatever. You know, it sounds like yeah, I, there's a real love for I try them. and get the balance. Obviously, it's a business. The gym, I need money for the gym to run. Also, if the gym does well, I, I can use that money to help guys go tournaments. Like, I try and I try and invest in, 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 in into the students and, and myself. Um, and I am, I'm a very obsessive about jujitsu. Like, I'm st still study all the time. I am still have what I call a white belt mentality. I'll be... I'll be watching the West Coast trials and I see her moving. I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's amazing. Let me break that down. Let me work that out. It's like, why did I think of that? Or I'll be like, ah, oh, we're going, it's trending. I'm, so at the minute, a lot of guys are using um, quite aggressive passing when they drop the shoulder and come round. But if you used to watch people like um, Mario Hayes, um, there's guys in the past, Terror Air, they played that jujitsu. Sometimes it comes back and we think it's new. It's been re-infired. It's maybe better. 
but it was all really there. It's kind, of, it's kind of like uh, fashion trends, isn't it? Yeah. Like they, they come back again slightly yeah. different, but, you know, it goes and, in uh, a I, get, I get inspired by a young, like um, when I was at the um, ADC and I watched Owen Jones, the Formula 41 um, year, and I watched these pass, and I was like, he's got a really good intensity. I said, if I can use that intensity against people my own age, they're really going to have a problem because, like, I want, to, I want the intensity of this 19-year-old or 21-year-old. And uh, I get inspired by the young, young, young generation as well. I don't feel like, oh, I'm already a black belt. Um, and I think that's an important thing. There's, it's very easy to get your black belt and go into like a cruise mode. Like, I've already done the hard work. I'm, I'm good. I can win most rounds in my gym. Be hungry for knowledge. Always be hungry for knowledge and improving. And for myself, you remember, I, I was already a black belt when I changed the check mat and I weren't winning nothing. I actually reinvented myself. I reinvented my jujitsu. Took me about three and a half years my whole game's different from when it was before and people are go no no the game you have a purple belt is the game you're always going to have if you want it to be or you believe that but you don't have to be and and also probably because the, the the natural pattern for most people is that they do become complacent and become stale so yeah from white to purple belt is where it's tough for you, right? You, yeah. And then you're sort of and you halfway find things up things that work, right? And yeah, you stick with them. And you can pick your roles sometimes mm, and whatever. Yeah. So you you do what you do yeah. and you and you and you play your game. But I mean, it, it, it's I think the the thing that's um, kind of encapsulates that a little bit is like that kind of childlike mentality. Like my mum always used to say to me, like there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. Yes, correct. You don't want to be childish, but yeah. you want to be childlike, that you're yeah. curious. You ask questions. You ask questions and you want to learn new stuff. And when you see things, you get excited about them and then you go mad on them for three months and then, you know, you get to something else. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, um, that is what, what kind of, certainly what allows continuous self-development exactly that is what allows people to become really excellent at things world-class level at things but it's difficult it requires a lot of drive and energy and go i mean obviously from talking to you already i can feel that that, that intensity that's there and obviously you build it as a habit like that's yes. your model right the habit is very important because uh, one of the biggest flaws I see with students, even good ones, is that everyone's good at training when they're motivated. But it's hard to be motivated. Just make it a consistent habit. Consistency is the key. Um, you got to go training you don't feel, on days you don't feel like it. You may have a bad day. Do you know what? When you're rolling on the match, your problems are outside. Go and deal with them after. Have some you time. And I think it's, for me, like the mats are the biggest escape from everything. Like If you're rolling and you're still thinking about your problems, you're not focused on what... What's what what's going on? Um, and it's so important that you make that for for people. Like I've got a guy who's uh, ex ex army, and he's this can be emotional. Um, he's been through quite a few things, and he says to me, "This is my safe zone." Okay, but sometimes I've got to make sure he's calm and relaxed. You know, he's doing sometimes someone might upset him on the mat. It ain't done nothing wrong, but to him. Um, and I've managed that. And that's another thing about being a good coach. You can have lots of different personalities and different... Well, just because he's had some... You don't push him out of your club. If someone's malicious, um, I think that's very one thing that is, I've learned, not just in jiu-jitsu as being a human being, um, is 
be upfront with people because when you do say something, they know it's true. A lot of people like to tell people what they want to hear. So then when you do tell them, they don't know. So I don't have a problem, which I've seen this in academies. Say someone's malicious or hurting people. They talk about it. Oh, do you know so-and-so? He goes rough. He goes hard. No one, no one talking to him. I'm being up, up front. I go, can I have a chat with you, please? I said, I, I watched your wrong. On a plat, I've got TV. I say, this is you wronging. See here. Why are, you, why are you digging your elbow right in his throat? I said, you're not even allowed to do that in competition. It's not going to tap anyone out. It's just being malicious. I said, I'll tell you what. You can, you can carry on doing things like that and you find a different club. Or you change it. I have no problem with training hard. I like training hard. But not trying to injure each other. Problem dealt with. But instead of talking about it, no, be up front. What? I remember, um, I won't say the guy's name, but I remember once I had this guy who was going a bit ballistic. It's the only last person I ever had who was like this. And he injured one of my brown belts. He'd done like a leg entanglement and went forward like a judo throw, but he had the leg entanglement, so it worked like a reap and done his knee. And the brown belt I had is fantastic, really lovely guy as well. And I was really gutted that he got injured. And then another time he smashed into my wall above and put a hole in it. So I have a chat with him. Boom, boom, boom. I said, you've got to learn to relax. You still push hard and, and, and stuff like that. But there's certain moves you don't do. You don't want to injure people. And I said, erratic. And the funny thing is, whenever he'd done tournament, he didn't do very well either. He'd have a fight in the gym, but not in tournament. So this one day, he's rolling nice, right? He's actually rolling really nice. So I said, can I talk to you? I said, that's what I want to see. That was perfect. He goes, yeah, but so-and-so don't roll like that. I said, listen to me. I just gave you a compliment. So-and-so don't roll like that. I said, listen to me again. I'm a black belt. You're, I think he was a white belt at the time. I said, the person you're talking about is another black belt as well. I said, he has an intensity, but he's not reckless. It's very different being intense and reckless. Oh, man. He starts, I said, let, let me sort this out. I've just gave you a compliment. Take it and leave it at that. Start giving me all the attitude. I tell you what, there's a door. I'm going to give you the option. You roll like you're doing, which I'm happy with now, or go back to how you was, and I don't want you in my gym. So if I don't see you again, I know what, never turn back up. Okay, is it a loss? No, because he injured two people. Do you save one person and start weakening your team just to, or you know what? Some people don't like it. They class it as confrontation. It's not confrontation. We're just having a, a real conversation. I'm being honest. You know, I'm, I'm like that in outdoors as well. Some people are like, oh my God, Spence. I remember, like, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm, uh, I'm walking across like, um, like a road where I live and a guy speeds up at me. Like, he speeds up at me, right? Like, out of the way. I think, what was he trying to run me over or what? Anyway, I see him pull in. I'm going, I'm, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him. I'm not going to be angry, calm as anything. I, I said, I want to ask you a question. He goes, what? I said, were you trying to kill me, run me over, or you think it's funny trying to scare me? He goes, um, I want to try to do anything. I said, I'm asking you a question. You accelerated at me. I want to know why. <laughs> Gets in his car, locks the door. I'm like, I'm a, I don't want to argue or fight you. I don't want to know your reason for accelerating at someone crossing the road. It makes no sense. Are you trying to scare me or kill me? If you would have said try to kill me, now, now you're putting a threat on my life. We're going to have a real problem. If you're trying to scare me, I'm like, I'd have say you're a bit of an idiot, aren't you? But it's the question, isn't it? He didn't want to, he couldn't answer it. Yeah. Because there's only one or two answers. You're yeah. trying to scare me or you're actually really trying, you ain't going to say you're trying to kill someone. I said, this is a complete stranger. Yeah. And I like, that's something, um, doing martial arts gave me confidence, but it's something I I didn't 
be able to do to maybe in my 40s as being a mature guy I often I call things out as they are like I, I'm quite proud that I do that like um say me and you are out for, for a meal and we both with um and you'll get a guy goes to even if he said it to you and goes you're punching mate uh, I go sorry can you explain what you mean by that they don't want to say it uh, you know it's a joke I don't really find it very funny Ex explain what you're saying no, no, I don't mean nothing but I'm asking you to explain what you're saying. Say what you're say what it means. And I don't want to. Actually, if he was being like a sly little dick, isn't it? Yeah. What he's actually saying is, I don't think you're a very attractive guy or whatever, and your wife's really attractive. That's very disrespectful. Remember earlier on I said what my whole existence is about respect and how you treat other human beings. That's it. Okay. I'm not um, I'm personally not religious. I believe there's something else. Um, in my gym, we have Muslim, we have Hindu, we have Creek, we have everything. Everyone gets on. And I respect everyone. If if it's time for them to pray, I'm like, guys, go and go and pray. I respect everyone in their beliefs. And I will never argue who's right and who's wrong. I don't know. No one truly knows. But I will respect everyone in their beliefs. But I, I expect respect back. I don't expect you to talk to me or my family or friends disrespectful. And I will give you the same, you know. If I meet someone's wife for the first time, if she's Muslim, I just give her a nod. If she's English, I, I, I just shake her hand. But there's some people that's like, they have no boundaries. Like they're coming and try, trying to grab and kiss on the lips. I'm like, no, no I'm not like that. That's yeah. not. I'm, I'm very, everything about me, about respect. And this is another thing going back to the martial arts. A lot of people expect people to react how they would react. And this is what a lot of people talk about in, in self-defense. Do not expect people to react like you react. Perfect example. In my mind, if me and you are having a disagreement, me and you will talk, not a problem. It will not get physical. As soon as you put hands on me, we are now having a, we are now having, we're in a combat situation. But some person, other people be like, they push people. And they think, if he pushes me, I'll push him back. Okay, he pushes me, back. What did you hit me for? In my head, you put hands on me, you have no right to do that. So now we're in a combat but he's looking at it from his point of view. He's like, I'm only pushing you, okay? I'm not saying he's wrong. That's his belief system. This is my belief system. Do not put hands on another human being because you do not know how they're going to react. And it's, it's good advice. It's very good advice. You know, you might, someone might cut, cut someone up and they jump out and they just want to come out and have an argument. But the other person says like, this guy's coming to beat me up and he panics and runs him over. We had a situation that never needed to happen. Yeah. And neither of the guy getting out just wanted to have an argument. The guy in the car ain't a violent person, but he panics now and thinks, oh, he might have a weapon. Like, it's, it's, it's something... And the, not, the guy getting out is not looking... He's like, the guy's like, oh, we're going to have a talk. You never know what other people's react. Like, even my missus will get on a train and she'll say, oh, someone put their feet up on the seat. And I, I, I tied my teeth and said something. I said, darling, please don't do that. I said, I love the way you stand up for yourself. She goes, what do you mean? I said, you don't know what, how, what that guy might be thinking you're being disrespectful to him now or he might be mentally ill and attack you. Why would anyone do that? I said, you think everyone's like you, very respectful, very nice. Not everyone's like you. Don't expect people to react like you react. Some people can have a verbal argument. Some people, as soon as you have an argument, they just lose it. Mm. And I think it's so important, never ever think people will react like you.
Yeah, I think that's something probably that you you develop more of an awareness for through having done a lot of martial arts and a lot mm-hmm. of training and a lot of competition. Definitely. Because you, you 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 see and you feel on the mats or in the boxing ring or whatever that that people are different. Yeah, right? some, someone get tapped and like, oh, cool. Other person like, <laughs> yeah. and then next week they're trying to kill you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which okay. My, my students want a very good look. I still get tapped, all right? And I learned this. So when I was at Mark, getting tapped by lower belts was a little bit like... But it was, it was like, it didn't really happen too much. Now, when I went to Neto, even though it's a higher-level club, I never forget something. He goes, I'd rather tap to you lot a hundred times than once in tournament. I was like, I get it. And I never hold my students back. I give them all my knowledge I can. I show, if, I, if I'm passing their guard a certain way... Or, or they need to get me in something like, this is what you should do. And I get tapped by my students. Okay, it's, I'm cool. Look how well I do in tournament. That's what matters. When I fight a black belt master three, that's what it matters. Not when I'm rolling tr- students trying new things. Yeah, I mean, that training is... It's training. It's training. Yeah, exactly. Right? That, it's not, it's not real. There. So if you do tap me out, well, pass my... Oh, even, even passing guard, takedown. I don't get upset about it. I have to go and work out what I did wrong. Where did the mistake happen? So I'll give you a, we'll go off subject a little bit, but go back. A guy gets caught in an armbar, comes up to me, Spence, I need armbar defence. Let me have a look, what happened? Don't worry about the armbar defence. Where did it all start? I'll tell you what happened. Your guard retention was wrong. The guy knee sliced you, you didn't have no frames, he went into side control, then he isolated the arm and then he put your armbar. But you want to go straight to the last bit. What about all the things that led to that? Let's, let's go from the beginning. I'll show you armbar defence. But let's, if the guy doesn't pass your guard, you ain't getting armbarred. Oh, do you know what? I didn't really think of it like that. Certainly. Focus on guard retention. If he can't pass your guard, he can't arm by you. All right. I but mean, this... will go straight to the problem, right? Yeah, this is something that Nick used to say, you know, it, uh, showing a defence to a submission. You know, say like you're you're in a triangle yeah. and you grab that knee and try to sort of drive yeah. them through and open the triangle. And invariably someone's going to say, oh, but if the guy's like big or he's strong, well, it's not going to work. And Nick used to always say the same thing. You fucked up. A long time, time ago. ago. Exactly. I'm just telling you. This is your last pitch. <laughs> I'm telling you. We're talking about Nick Brooks, yeah? Brooks. I've trained with him a um, long time ago. It, it, Daniel Strauss was, I think, a blue belt at the time. Right. Maybe. And, that's, uh, that's, that's before And he was near enough my size, right? Yeah, he used to be a little guy. He was a little guy. I used to go up there to train. Cause I, where, like I said, Mark's one. I used to go to Rogers and Nick Brooks and train because yeah. I didn't have my own academy. Now I, I do all my training at my academy because yeah. I have level of students. And uh, Nick was a phenomenal guy. His knowledge was ahead of his time. Um, and I was always, always like, he, he was always making him welcome. Like, he's a really cool guy. And, uh, and Daniel Strauss was a really cool a guy, actually, as well. And uh, I remember uh, I passed these guards. And I, mean, I think I was a pearl, but he's brilliant. But I knew he was really good at the time. I passed these guards, and I was like, yeah. And I went to go to control his head, and he got me in this Kimura, like I hadn't seen before. Obviously, Nick. I was like, he set me up. <laughs> I was like, I was a bit happy. I just passed his guard yeah. and he just come on. Yeah, it was a key lock, actually. It was a key lock. Right. And uh, I never got caught with it ever, ever again, but I just remember that moment. But those are your, those are your learning moments, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Like you I'm go a, somewhere and you feel something and you're like, okay. Because uh, I hadn't seen it before, right? Yeah. Um, I remember going to Rogers and uh, this was, uh, it's nice when you talk because I remember things. And uh, I went, I was going to Rogers and uh, I was training for the world championships and I think I was a brown belt. And it, um, it was like Roger Lagarde, uh, Bradley would come down and some, 
of a Brazilian guys. And I remember going, uh, I'm going to the world, can I train with you guys? And they, I was like, we have to think about it. And I was like, and they let me. I was the only like English guy in this room. It, it wasn't a normal class. It was cool. It was really hard. It was hard. But I, even though the training was great, I didn't have the belief back then like I have now. I think that's important. You got, so, well, that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, actually. So in terms of like the, the mental and emotional side mm-hmm. of competing specifically but even kind of getting on the mat or tackling mm-hmm. new things doing things that you find difficult um you 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 got a couple of little things that i saw on your on your instagram um so one of them was was something like if you win it's down to your skill and your mm-hmm. preparation or whatever mm-hmm. and if you lose it's down to your mm-hmm. skill and your preparation and and also just about the kind of like um externally i look one way but internally i'm kind mm-hmm. of calm and focused exactly. and whatever so so this is something that i wanted to, to 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 ask you in a little bit more detail about the the kind of mental and emotional preparation and how you approach competition in your head you know w- what you attach to winning or losing or just competing or just doing what you've kind of trained you know how do, how do you approach it on the mental side because especially with jiu-jitsu it's a lot of competition base right mm-hmm. at some point probably you're going to compete yep. even like I, when i started i didn't want to compete and then i after a while you're like oh, i'm going to do one oh that's quite good oh, i'm going to do another one and 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 a lot of people end up doing uh doing some amount of competition or not doing it because they get so kind yeah, of worked up about it that they can't do it so i just wanted to get okay. a little bit of insight about I, that I'll tell you how I deal with this. Well, I've done combat sport for a long time. It, I got used to it early on, but I did change. I do, I do a lot of studying as well, you know, I'm reading different books. I looked, and I look at athletes from other fields as well. Same bolt, um, Michael Jordan, Mohammed. Like, I, I like to look at all different athletes and then what makes them tick and how they deal with things. They're all different. There's not one answer for one. I will say what I believe. Um, but I believe everyone should find their own way. Um, I think there's a a lot of in the world now. People we got influencers. We know this. People get influenced very easily. I, I see it from some of my students. Someone will say this, and like this is how you should do it. That's their opinion. It don't mean it's gospel or true. Listen to them, but make your own opinion and cross references. That's what I believe. I'm going to give my opinion. I'm saying this is for everybody. When I go to a to- tournament, my confidence based on my preparation and ha- my success. So confidence is measured by if you're doing certain techniques and you're having a high, high success rate in your gym, go and use that in the tournament. It's been tried and tested. Don't be one of them guys who go, I'm going to try this fly in whatever that you've never practiced. It's not been tried and tested. Stick with what works. Look at it. Don't make the fight personal. It's not... You versus him. It's your skill set and strategy versus his. I've seen many a time, including myself, I have had better jujitsu than someone and still lost because they had a better strategy than me. Emotion. I believe when you get emotional, you lose control sometimes. Uh, the basketball, Kobe, he's like, you have to be ice cold. 
No emotion. I will not celebrate any match until it's the finals and I've won gold. I could win three matches. You won't see me celebrate. Why? Because I was there to do a task and it's not completed yet. Once I start celebrating, I get emotional, I have adrenaline in, I have everything else. I now need to get it all back down. Okay. I also believe if I prepared properly and trained properly, I'm there to win anyway. So winning two matches ain't what I was there for anyway. That's the way I look at that. Strategies. It's not just about using your technique. It's about exposing weaknesses in your opponent. It's also about fighting under the rule set. You're fighting IBJF, ADC. Different. One you can roll off the mats. One you can use the square. IBJF's like, you know, I, I will circle so they're always facing the square. So if I hit anything, they can't roll out of bounds and stop. So that's strategy as well. The Europeans I'm going to use as an example. The guy I fought in the finals I fought before, I knew he gets emotional. I also see his first match, he leg-locked someone very quickly. I was like, okay, and I, I know he's good at leg-locks. I'm like, I want to I beat him at a leg-lock. I want to beat him at his own game. But to go for it early on is going to be risky because he is good at leg-locks. So what I did is we stood up and I went for a front head tie. A little bit hard, not enough for the ref to even pull it, but enough to just get a reaction. He loses it, sorry. He actually slapped me back. So I just give him a little like, yeah, let's go. Like, I like this, which makes him more angry. The ref starts telling him off. I instigated this cleverly. So now I was like, okay, you're emotional. Box ticks. Then he starts sitting and I can see him extending for legs. So I'm going to go in and out of range, making him extend. You, know, you don't want to extend limbs in jiu-jitsu. He's and now he's extending. So now I've got him emotional and he's overextending. Two things you don't want to do. Next thing is get, let's get some points and make him chase the game. So I get some points. I pass his guard. I'm now winning, I think it's 4-0. Four, four, four so I've now got him emotional, behind on points and overextending. Then I, then I hit my leg lock and sub him with a knee bar. But if I would have gone for the knee bar in the first two minutes... He's technically very good and he's, he's got his wits about him and mostly when I got him, I use strategy. I also think be real to yourself. Um, I know like some people like talking on the internet, I'm going to beat this person and all that. I know people watch the, these guys. If that's not really you, be yourself. Um, same as, oh, I'm quite, I'm quite fiery as a human being, but I know emotion is not good in combative situations. So I use the fire beforehand. And as you heard in the MMA thing, I make up little stories in my head, which I do in the match. So when I see my opponent, I'm like, oh, you don't think I'm that good this year? You're going to come back and beat me? Yeah. Um, you think you're going to leg lock me? Because I see him. I make up a whole story that's not true to get myself up. But I'm, I don't go emotional. So And I use that on an everyday basis. I, let's say I'm training for the Europeans and I feel a bit flat. I put some music on. I'm like, these guys don't think you're that good. And you got you're gonna have to go and show how good you, you better get working hard today. And yeah, self talk motivate myself. Um, yes, so it, it but is. I'm a, I'm a sorry, I'm a man of um, routine. You know, I, I wake up in the morning, I make my bed, and I have a green tea, black coffee, watch some jujitsu, always the same time. Then I go training, do I've root that ritual routine. Even when I compete, I I put my trainers next to each other, perfect bottle of water, bag bit OCD sort of thing but I have my now I'm ready to step on the mat yeah I mean I, I think that that actually uh, 
reminds me of um, I, uh, Albert Einstein had like just a wardrobe full of black suits okay, and white yeah. shirts. Exactly. So you ain't got to think about nonsense. wake up, put it yeah, on, I hear go that. to work. There's a lot of people to use that now as well. Yeah. So so I mean, it, it is it is like we sort of touched on earlier. You know, making things a habit makes difficult things more easy because exactly. you just go right at six o'clock in the morning i do this yes. at eight o'clock i do that for nothing. and and also then it kind of um it makes you take better decisions around that because exactly. you're like i've got to get up at six o'clock so i've got to go to bed before 10 o'clock exactly. otherwise i can't get up at six o'clock i better not have coffee this late because it affects my sleep. And, and as what you do now affects everything later on so it's like compounding right compound effect if you compound it like i say ah. Oh, I don't. I, I love coffee, and but I won't have coffee after five o'clock because it does affect my night sleep. But I also research studies always a great thing. I I read. Um, I was on a yeah. I think I read it somewhere. Sleep guy. He said when you wake up first in the morning, if you have coffee straight away, you're not fully wake up. So you press the chemical that makes you feel tired is still there. So then later on the day, that's why. I, like midday, you feel a bit drowsy because the coffee's right now, it's being released. So, a lot of people are like, I won't have coffee too early. I wait up for I'm up for a half hour, 45 minutes, then I drink. But I do the opposite because I like to have a daytime nap because I'm a full time athlete. So, when I get up, guess what? I have the coffee straight away because I know it wears out around one o'clock, two o'clock. I'm gonna have a little 45 minute nap. Perfect. I manipulated it to fit into my day. Um, and yeah. that's what it's about just using everything you can to your advantage. And using it to plan your own day to get the best you can out of each day, and and also something that I just wanted to double back on a little bit Good. was was the going on getting on the mat. Okay, yeah. To compete, so obviously you you do not get emotional. Nothing. Nothing. But how do you how do you balance that um, getting ready to perform? Because you know the the thing that I like think like if you feel like you don't feel like you feel a bit flat. Well, not, not just flat, but I think the thing that's difficult, especially when you are, haven't competed mm -hmm. much and you haven't even maybe trained much, so you're a few stripes on a mm -hmm. white belt, blue belt, whatever, is that in normally this was the thing that, that shocked me the most the first time I competed, mm -hmm. which was at blue belt. I didn't okay. compete at all at white belt. Was like, oh shit, we're fighting. You know, because in the class, you go in, you get changed, you say hello, you have a little and chat. And they feel more physical, There's right? Because adrenaline and everything. Yeah, you, but you... Then you learn some techniques. Yeah. Then you roll and everyone's warming up. And then by the third roll, you're going hard. Whereas competition, you know, walk on the mat. The guy says, come on, walk on the mat. I walk on. He did says, you warm up beforehand? What did you do? Walk, roll I, with someone? No, or I, well, the thing get is... Get your heart rate up? I, I, all I was doing was jogging on the spot cool. to get my heart rate up. That's good up. enough. Because I had... I had a herniated disc. Okay. And like literally when I would roll, it'd be like, say, 30% chance mm. my back's going to go. Okay. So I was like, if it's going to go, we'll go in the fight. I'm not going to do it on the warm-up mat because yeah. then I, I can't even go to fight. Okay. So I was like, I'll just get my heart rate up. But it was still such a shock for me. Go on, comes on, bow, Boom. touch hands, lucha. And I was like, he started. And the guy, you know, grabbed my gi, pulled guard, pulled De La Hiva, And I was like, fuck, this is like... We're fighting. Yeah. And it, so and see, like there, like, you realise, he was like, we're fighting once he grabbed your gi. So he already had points of contact, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one, one of the concepts I always show is like, the guy in the bottom wants the most amount of contact as he can, okay? The more points of contact, the more chance he has of sweeping on sub. If, I, if the guy only has one hand on you, he ain't really doing nothing. Yeah. If he has a foot and a hand on you, normally... But once he has two legs on you, collar and a sleeve, 
now there's all the sweeps on. Yeah. So you've already gave yourself like a little disadvantage, yeah, letting him get all the contact. Yeah. And when you pass guard, you want them to have less contact as you can. You want to control the legs, their legs are not touching yours. So it's the concept I teach, like on the bomb, get as much contact as you can. On top, please contact until can. you get past. But, so, but in terms of just the it, mental side, right? So, so do you have an actual process of... Mm -hmm. That you that yeah. you practice that you think yeah. about before beforehand to get on, on the mat and be ready to perform. On Sunday, I'd, we do comp rounds at our gym. Um, it's the one training we have no music, no music. Even all the youngs go, "Come on, let's play music." I'm like, "No music at the tournament." And then they, some of them go, "Oh, come on, Spence." I go, "I tell you what, you can play music when you get your own gym." Like, I'm very sarcastic like that. And then uh, <laughs> what I do is I don't do like elbow escapes running around because they're going to be. I literally go to the one side and run on the spot and do, I pretend I'm at a tournament and imagine there ain't a big warm-up area or it's too busy. I might not be able to get to roll with someone. So let's run on the spot, get my heart rate up. I then step off the mat, put my flip-flops on and stand there like it's competition. And I wait for the, uh, I, do, uh, I do yoga. I do my breathing, clear my mind. Let's go. And I step on, do my round, reset, come off the mat flip-flops back on like you couldn't do that in a normal class i get that but that's why i do competition training not all my students do it but it's like i do and some days i'll especially close to tournament i turn up happened before you've been i'm getting ready one of my guys what are you what are you doing the weekend i just look at him no offense i'm focused there i'm getting ready for tournaments i talk to you afterwards okay spence i'm like that tournament as well if i'm at tournament people come up to me i go i'm not being rude i'm i'm about to compete some people like to talk before, not me. I like to focus. Mm. Some op some opponents will come up to you and try and talk to you as well. They're feeling a bit nervous. Oh, let, uh, when I, oh, he's all right. He's a nice guy. It, it secures there. Okay? I'm the opposite. Someone, oh, well, I remember like you fight someone. And like, oh, what football teams are like? I talk to you after. I've got nothing to say to you. you see their face like, oh God. I'm not a rude person. I, Listen, I'm here to win. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay, we talk afterwards. You want to talk afterwards? Even at the, even at the Europeans, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a games player. I win the Europeans and the two, and the, I go and get my medal. And, and the lady goes to me, uh, Masters three. I said, Yeah, I can see I was Masters three. I thought I looked young. She goes, You look Masters seven. I said, Thank you very much. So, joking around. So I'm waiting for her to get my medal. And she goes, um, Are these two guys your friends? I said, They're definitely not my friends. They're my rivals. I said it straight to both of them. I see them both looking at me like, Why'd you say that? But they are my rivals, right? They're not my friends. I ain't got nothing against them. Nothing against them. I don't know them well enough to be my friends. They're my rivals. We're going to compete over the period of time. Also, I like to give a little, little edge over next time. Um, sometimes after a tournament, uh, when I won the American Nationals, the guy, one of the guys said to me, uh, oh, your wrestling was really good. I said, ah, oh, to be fair, my guard's actually better than my wrestling. Just to, now he's thinking, oh, I, last, I was, I was going to play a different game. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just little, yeah. like, little... Never disrespectful or nothing. Just yeah, but it's all the little little the, things that make the difference, right? Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things... I went to fight the same guy at the next tournament. He was there and he pulled out. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, one one of the things that that reminds me of... Um, again, Did I answer your question, though? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah like, like the rehearsal. Yeah. Right, rehearsing. Breathing go time, and like, be present. Yeah. I should admit it. So when you breathe, you concentrate on your breath and you're present. Even if you want to touch the mat, be present. The only thing matters is that don't think about the result, okay? Um, don't worry about the referee, the crowd, nothing else. Just be the only thing you can control is your breathing and your performance. So don't worry about all the other outside facts. It doesn't matter. Like I said to my guys, 
it's not no different to sparring, just a more intense. You don't, you're not in, when you're sparring in a club, you ain't thinking, who's watching me? What's that noise in the, just focus you. That's all you can do. Yeah. It, um, is, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's a bit like, you know, the kind of Bruce Lee, like yeah. the, the technique Feel. is a thing in itself. Yes. It's not you doing no. it. The technique and is your technique versus he, he. Yeah. It, it, it makes it a lot easier if you start like, then you start thinking, is he more athletic than me? Is he stronger than me? Is he, is he tough? None of them things matter. Mm. Don't, don't worry about that. Yeah. Worry. I mean, it's like, you're going to find out. Yeah, so why worry? Just rely about on your it. technique. Yeah. That's it. Rely on your technique you're and trust know in and strategy. Five or ten minutes time, whether exactly. he was stronger, better, faster, yeah. you'll you'll find out. And if he is, then okay, stronger than me. Okay, I have to change my game a bit. You know, the strongest guy don't win the tournament. Like, yeah. there's not the strongest man in the world don't win many fights, right? It's, yeah, like it's a factor. But we, when we talk about uh, let's let's, I, I, I like to use it. So everyone talk. Golden Ryan takes steroids, all this stuff. I'm a big fan of Golden Ryan. If Gordon Ryan didn't take steroids, he wouldn't be the weight division he's in, but he must still be world champion and he still must be a thing. If you look at it, he wanted to be an absolute world champion. He weren't big enough to beat people like Boo Checha and that they are naturally big guys. So the real reason, if you I believe anyway, is for him to win an absolute, he had to be that bit bigger. But he would have mostly been a world champion in his own weight division, but it would have been too much a task. You know, even my, I believe the best, Marcelo, he was mostly a little bit heavier than Gordon Ryan without naturally, and he still couldn't do it. He had people like Roger Gracie in the division. So Gordon Ryan, as good as he is, if he didn't take the steroids, he mostly couldn't win the absolute, but he's definitely still technically the best guy, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the... the, the so strength ain't the factor. Yeah, the performance enhances is that, right? It yeah. enhances your performance. performance but if yeah. you don't perform, it's... No. You've got yeah, nothing exactly. to enhance. And, you know, you, like I said, you take the guy who takes the most steroids, lifts a bigger weight, he ain't going to win nothing. You've got to have the technique as well. Um, and also, like you say, you know, the, the, um, this, this, this reminds me of the, the example, I've talked about it before, about the British cycling team, yeah. where, they, where they went from just being like a, a British cycling team to cleaning up everything, Olympics, I know, I know this story. Have you read the book Bounce? No, but they I'm mentioned not, that in there. Yeah. I was meant to bring that for you today, actually. I was gonna... But uh, but you know, the, the do every detail was covered, yeah. and then the the thing that always sticks with me, I, I, I forget the numbers exactly, but they bought uh, like two hundred pillows. That's right. Into the gym, and they like lie down on them and pick out like the five that you're most comfortable. comfortable take a moment, sleep on them, yeah. and see which one you get the best night's sleep on. That's your pillow. It's, it's the minor, and then they, they painted the bus tour bus when it white, so if there was any dirt or germs, they could see like. As, as Matt, like people don't realize how much it is. It's happened to me. Three weeks out of tournament, you get cold and flu. That's no good. Yeah. Like when it gets closer to I try and if one of my students turns out with a cough and come, like, can you go home? They're like, I suddenly cover. We've got four or five guys competing. We don't need the team meal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because of COVID, it makes it a bit easier now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. don't get me wrong. I know, like, if you've got something minor, like, I get that. But sometimes you've got to do what's best for the team. Like, if it's proper cold and flu, and you're selfish enough to pass it on to everyone else, it affects the whole team. But it's, it's weird like that post-COVID because the whole sort of philosophy, you know, I can remember through, through at work, like people ringing in sick. And everyone and, be like, I can't believe they're sick. Oh, it's fucking... So it's cold? So right? cold. Whereas now you go in, you're like, <coughs> they're like, you're right. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I know it's, like we all get a bit ill, immune system, but it, it, it is, uh, no one wants to be ill, do we? No, especially if you're, if you're uh, athlete, preparing yeah, or, for or something, something yeah. 
you know, and, imagine and, your wedding, even your wedding day or uh, something important. You don't want to have snotty nose and stuff. It's like you just want to be help, or going on a holiday, anything. Like, yeah, you want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so something else then that I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, you're a full time mm-hmm. athlete, coach, whatever. So you kind of have the luxury of being able to structure your training and, and everything around not having a, another commitment. But in terms of of your sort of um, I don't know your average jujitsu practitioner who's mm-hmm. got a forty hours a week, week commitment to a job and a bit of family stuff. So how many days a week do you think you could commit training? How long you should be training? What recovery you should be doing? Okay. What your diet should mm-hmm. look like? Sleep like well, you know what, okay. what what do you try to sort of go for? Okay, there's there's very variables. It all depends how physical their job is and things like that. But let's let's do a, like a basic one. Let's say you can train. What should we say? Three days a week or four? Free? Free. Free is more average. So, I I would do your three days a week Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, sleep is... Food and sleep are two of the most important things for recovery. When we sleep, our body heals and recovers. Um, a lot of people like fasting and stuff. I'm not anti-fasting. I, don't, I think you should do fasting on days you don't train. Just a simple fact of when you train hard your muscles get broken down and they need something to repair them it's like if i said build a brick wall and i didn't give you no bricks and mortar it ain't gonna you need so food it's got protein vitamins in it that's what repairs your muscles so don't fast on hard training days i, I think fasting is fine because it's got a lot of benefits you know stops cancer restarts i'm not saying not fast but don't do it on hard training days um sleep um, very, very important, especially after training. Um, so then things like having coffee late, things like that, are, are big, a big factor. I do believe doing some sort of weight training. Um, I don't ever believe strength conditioning should overtake your actual sport because um, then it has a knock-on effect. You know, you're, if you if you want to do jiu-jitsu, you focus on the actual thing. You Don't go and do strength and conditioning that mimics it. In my thing is why I think I can compete and roll at um, 40, I'm 45 this year, is I don't focus on the muscles that I use. I, I focus on the muscles that get ne- neglected. That's the ones that cause injury. So, like, for example, Jiu-Jitsu uses a lot of lat, but I don't like the smaller muscles. And that, no, we all get that pain, yeah? So you have to work external. And I know this because I see a physio, right? Neck, we all get a lot of pain in our neck, okay? What, what, what happens, the, the, the um, trap's a bit weak, so this strains, okay? Let's strengthen up the trap, okay? So I, I do a load of um, knee, I, I make sure I have strong muscle here, the smaller muscle, not just the big muscle. So I do a lot of weights that compensate on the weights that I don't use enough. Um, jiu-jitsu, you're cold, you have bad posture, okay? Bad posture is good in jiu-jitsu, but it's going to cause problems later on. So I, I use a, I do a lot of training, not working on muscles that I use in jiu-jitsu because they're already going to be strong, the ones that get neglected to stop injury. Um, for me, that works fantastic. Um, and uh, how, how hard are you training when you're doing those when weight I, sessions? When I, I, so if, if you're a hobbyist guy, I'd say that maybe go gym, do, do an upper body day and a lower, lower body day. I think that's enough if you can. Um, for myself, I do a push-pull day upper body on two separate and then I do a legs day um, I don't go overly heavy um, when I compete the biggest thing athletic thing I'm most of is double leg takedown pick a guy up it's going to be 61 kilos 
as long as I can do that a few times, I'm good. I don't need to do PBs. Often, I'm sure most people have done personal. The next day, you're in pieces. It then affects your actual training. When you're not trying to be a weightlifter, you want to be a jiu-jitsu guy, you want to enhance that. When it starts affecting your other sport, it's, it's having a negative effect. Your jiu-jitsu is your moment. It's a skill set sport. Okay, it's, it's not overly athletic, but being strong does play a part in it. But also, preventing injuries is even a must for me. The more time I have on the mat, the better it is. And I've had a lot of injuries. Um, but doing the rehab from my physio plays a big part of it. The other thing I, I will say, I, I've done ice baths, I've done saunas, I've done cryo chambers. I was sponsored and placed done all that. And I remember speaking to my physio, he's fantastic. And he's the one who got over my back injury. I see chiropractors, I see everyone. Free treatments, this guy sorted me out. He gave me exercises. Um, feel sad that I'm going to mention him because um, he does Olympic athletes. Um, a really good guy. And he's one of them guys, you go and see him, he goes, you do one treatment, he goes, how many do I need? He goes, ring me when you, you should be all right. Do your exercise, you'll be all right. Don't, you don't need to book 10 sessions. Right? Don't, don't be that guy. He's like, one session, he's cool. He goes, what everybody does, Spence, I've noticed a trend right now. Everyone wants to add stuff. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, because I was asking about cold baths, saunas and all this. He goes, everyone wants to train and they want to add, a, oh, I'm going to do ice baths, I'm doing saunas, foam rolling, I'm doing this. He goes, they don't want to cut stuff out. They, won't wanna, they don't want to stop eating the junk, which has more of a bad thing. They don't want to go to bed early and have a good night's sleep. He goes, forget all that other stuff. That's just a like, little, tiny little bit. If you're sleeping right and eating properly, you're... That's what nature gave us in the first place. And, it, and he said to me, like the cold baths, he goes, your core temperature always stays the same. It does help away, but it's never going to get deep inside you, okay? You'll die. <laughs> it's, it feels good. He goes, the downside is also you feel very stiff afterwards, which we all do, right? And you feel very stiff and he's, he's like, don't worry about adding more stuff and making your schedule busier. Take away the things that give you... Negative results. And I was like, you know what, it's the best advice I've ever heard. I don't even bother doing all the cryo stuff anymore. And guess what? I feel exactly the same. It's kind of I just get better sleep, isn't it? And I eat better. Yes, yeah, it's that 80 20, right? The sleep and the, and the food yeah. is, is the. People still want to go out on a Friday night and eat bad. I thought, but I'm going to do an ice bath tomorrow and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Yeah, but that, that don't make up for what you're doing. It should be an add on if you're going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Like yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's good advice, but again, it's it's difficult advice, isn't it? Because yeah. you want to go out and you want to do. I know guys that do do that. They're doing B vitamin IVs. They're doing the ice. They're doing this, but they still go out on a Friday night, eat bad, and drink bad. It's like that ain't gonna help you. You you're just spending a load of money. Like yeah. really, like you can't compensate for that. Yeah, and you got to decide. Like, okay, if you're doing it for a hobby, still go out, still do that. But if you want to do well, like just cut it down a bit. You know, go out once a month or don't, you ain't got to stay out till four in the morning. Go home at one. Don't, that, don't drink 20 beers, drink two. It's, it's also, as you get older, oh, it becomes much more of a thing, right? Yeah. You know, when you're 20, 25, whatever, you have a lot more leeway in what you can get away with. Um, and the older Even going to bed get, late. You know, like you go to bed late, I'm, I'm ruined for I sometimes get ill. I actually will get ill. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel terrible if I don't sleep enough. I go too late to bed and it will take me three days to recover. Right? Recover, Even even eating a bad meal and not a bad meal like a McDonald's, just something that don't quite agree. Agree with you. Yeah. Then I wake up and I feel like I've got a hangover. Yeah, it's but, like, 
course. You're on the internet about it. We're like, well, not even... A, so, uh, like, with food, um, I learned this from the MMA. Is like, you eat very, very clean, and then, like, you have a cheat... We call it a cheat meal, which I don't actually agree with cheat meals. Anymore. I call them a feed day. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, say I'm eating very low calories to keep my weight down, when it, it is time to eat a good meal, I'm going to eat the most nutritious meal that's rich and, f- you know, filling. I don't want to put a load of... Ru- of it clean low calories and now i'm gonna put a load of rubbish it don't have something like if you like steak have a good steak with some mashed potato or something don't reach for the doner kebab as your cheat day have a feed day give your body what it needs yeah so so a little bit on on that food side of things then what does your normal diet look like okay so i've I've changed a couple of times and and also on comp day or day before you know so i i've gone through different phases i I was i've done vegan for a while I want to be honest, I was vegan for about two years. I still was getting quite results, but I was... I was finding it hard to get the body fat down and keep the lean muscle up. And I was getting enough protein and I was supplementing. I think it's more like chickpeas and everything else. It's still still very carb high anyway. I know there'll be people going, no, I disagree. I'm talking about my own experience. I'm not saying vegan's wrong. Right? I, I tried it. I added eggs and it made a massive difference. That, and the thing with eggs is I've got um, free range eggs, you know, um, good quality. And I do love animals, um, but I feel like I needed eggs. Um, they're so versatile. They're very rich. I've got, got protein, B vitamins, and they're easy to cook. You know, I can make an omelette with some asparagus, with some spinach, with some black beans. It's done. I can make that in a couple of minutes. It's very easy. You can get it everywhere as well. Um, the oil cooking is very important. And then recently this year, I added red meat. I don't eat chicken. Oh, and I have, so I have fish every two weeks and I have meat, but I pick the meat that I believe, well, is the most nutritious. Liver, something like that. A steak, rich, rich meat. And I only have that once every two weeks. And I'm going to have to be honest, I feel better. I do feel better. Um, I think generally we don't need to eat mad amount of meat. And I think what they put in it's bad. That's why I try and get the best quality, like grass-fed, outdoors. It took me a while because I'm I'm a massive animal lover. And that like, and I, I thought to myself, this is why I looked at it, it's like, if I had to eat it, would I? Yeah, I could. I wouldn't want to do it, but survival, I'd, I'd be able to kill it. But if I couldn't, I wouldn't mostly eat it. Yeah. Okay. That's my, like, you know, I think that's the problem with society now. Like, kids think chicken nuggets, they don't realize it's an animal. Like, educate. Like, you know, years ago, you'd have uh, a cow hanging up in a butcher's. Like, you knew what it was. But it's like, we don't want you to know. I mean, chicken nuggets probably ain't got a lot of chicken in it. No, they ain't. To be fair. No, that's McDonald's. But you get what I mean? You should know. Like, none of these people, like, live on, uh, and they they see their father kill the animal and all that. And they say, like, it's like, first time I see it. I have quite a bit of respect for that. Like, you know exactly what's happening. But that also teaches, like, that we we have this problem with the, like, wasteful throwaway culture. Like, Like, when it's a real animal, that's why no part is goes to waste. Every little bit they use. Exactly. And and most people eat the most least, like a chicken breast is, yeah, it's protein, but it ain't got no nutrition in it. You're eating them, you know, you eat the liver hearts or, you know, whatever. 
you know. Yeah, like, the organs and the bones, the yeah, bone broth. Look at animals in the world. What do they eat? You like, you know. Um, I think it's 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 funny how if you don't know about it, it's okay. But saying that I'm one of them guys, and this, people laugh at me. So you could be driving down the motorway and you'll see me picking up a worm and putting it on the grass because I don't want it to get killed in the sun. Like, but I'm willing to have a fight with someone. Like, if like I I'm also a believe like every living thing wants to live, um, and I don't think we should kill anything unnecessary for pleasure or fun but i understand for survival and food it, it is part of uh, of nature and I, we are part of nature as well not like these people shouldn't interfere with part we're not uh we've been around with nature and what we do is already affecting them yeah. but i only say that when it's a good thing you'll see a wildlife program and i don't know there was that one where they dug the penguins where they stuck we've already affected them like so us makes not that much you know have you seen ones where like you'll get a, a sea lion jumps on a boat and the orcas are trying to get them and if I was like push it off like it's not no, well the boat being there has already interfered because yeah. in their seal's head that's an island yes you interfered that's putting it in a boat there so pushing it off is more interference just let it be yeah right it's like let's let it be like, yeah. and then we've got this mad thing as, if it's bad we can interfere but when it's good not but I believe human beings are part of nature yeah, and also, I mean, I think this is one of the one of the the worst human follies is trying to make a distinction of what's good and what's bad. I mean, look where that's got us. Oh, exactly. every problem we've ever had is because someone decided this is good and this is bad. Oh, there's some real. I, I don't know a lot of people know about this. There's one where this scientist believes the problems with African African um, saf- no, like the animals in safari and all that was the, the the elephants were damaging too much forestry, so they decided to cull the elephants and kill loads of them, which was completely false and was wrong. So they put an animal, what now is endangered, made it worse at the time, because that's what a scientist said, and he was completely wrong. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I mean, science, I, I, I think, not to, not to sort of go completely overboard, but science, I, I feel at the moment, we are much closer to scientism than we are to science. Yeah, where it's, I agree. It's a kind of a cultish devotion to, oh, this guy's got 15 qualifications, so we must listen best. to what he says. No. He doesn't know best. No, that's science, and also, like I said, influence, people being influenced and stuff like that. Um, what, what I try and look at is knowing someone tells you you should live your life like this. Some of the people saying it don't do it themselves. I'm actually going to save some. I know a lot of people, two people that a lot of people listen to, and they can yeah, so and so said this. Jordan Peterson's right. Everyone puts it on their Instagram that thing where men should be dangerous and all that. I agree with that, but he don't do any of that himself. He's not dangerous. He don't, right? he don't train himself. He ain't. So he's telling everyone to go and do it, but he don't do it himself, right? That's why he has to go. He shows you, but like boxers, he tells you everyone else. But if it's so important, why are you not doing it? Okay, I agree with it, but guess what? We train martial arts, um, and uh, like I have a plan in my. This might sound crazy. I have a plan. If someone breaks into my house, what I'm going to do, right? Like, so at night I have a high powered torch. I know where the knives are. Like, I'm not. By the way, I'm not losing. But my job is to protect my family and mm-hmm. home, right? I have a plan, and I'm not going to be using jujitsu because I don't know where person are. So we all t- this and this guy, but he don't do that himself. Um, there's so many examples that these people telling people what they should be doing. Like even um, Andrew Tate, I had this guy come, I want to learn fighting. I heard to listen to Andrew Tate. I said, oh, cool, good influence. Then a few months later he goes, jiu-jitsu is a waste of time because if you go on the floor and then he's going, I don't want to do jiu-jitsu anymore. I'm like, you know this is just one guy's opinion. I said, if he got a fight and a high-level jiu-jitsu guy got on the floor, he's destroyed. He's destroyed. Like, 
I'm a jiu-jitsu guy and I'm telling you, you should know both. You should know how to strike. If, you, if we're talking self-defense, like, if you're more focused on just jiu-jitsu, but if we're talking just pure self-defense, know how to strike, know how to use and also know how to get it to the floor and avoid going on the floor. That's all you need. Now, Andrew Tate said this. I was like, okay, you listen to this guy. <laughs> but that's how influenced some people are. Yeah, and they take it as face value that this guy is right. We 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 are we are in a culture. I mean, like you said right at the beginning, we are in a culture now of influencers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 COVID thing was such a kind of a vivid example of how easily you can get people to do things against their oh, own self interest exactly. by having this person, mm. one celebrity, one scientist, one politician. Mm-hmm. Show, one of them is going to appeal to you and then you're just going to yep. do what you're told. Yeah. Even though they're telling you to do things that if I told you a year ago to do it, you'd say like, no, we ain't doing that. No, and, it's, it's so, and that's where we're at now. Like I think but COVID can, showed you how easy it was and then now there's a new market of, that's why when I'm talking, I'm saying this is my opinion on this and this is how, I'm not saying this is right for and everyone else and that's another thing. We're all different. We all, we all have different beliefs. We all have things that are going to... Um, even sleep. There's some people can work on less of sleep than others. Very, very few. Um, people have different reactions to coffee. I'll say I have coffee before training and I have an expert. But it might not be for you. Like, don't find yourself. Experiment. Try. But no one's got the answer. Same as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of life coaching. Okay? How can someone tell you how to live your life? Okay? And uh, the people that I know do life... Their life's a mess, by the way. Yeah, the okay. funniest is when you uh, see those like learn to be a life coach, like two hour <laughs> online courses. Like, hang and on no a one really knows the true meaning of life, by the way. Like, no one is an expert on life. Or the other guy is like, sign up for my courses, 500 quid, I will teach you how to be a millionaire. Well, if he's a millionaire, got those money, he ain't got to sell it to you, he just do that's, it for that's free. That's what right? I always say. Like, guys, stop being so gullible. Like, even with jujitsu, I'll get people send me video. What do you think of this move? Who is this guy? So I'll do so. Some. Some guys never won any tournaments, don't compete, and he's doing this funky move that would never work. But to some of the, this looks really cool. Yeah, it doesn't work. But this is one of the this is one of the real beautiful things that I find about jujitsu, is that because of the rolling mm-hmm. and competing, if you compete, it does force you to. Um, it forces you to come back to reality in terms of where you are. Exactly. Because There's every- no line on the mat, right? Exactly. You know exactly where you are. And you also, this is what I like, this is what I noticed, the best thing for progression is to be honest. Say you roll with someone and you don't do very well. Okay. Don't beat yourself up. But don't start making excuses. Oh, I had a late night last night. Just look at it for this. I made a technical mistake here and I need to correct that. Being honest with yourself and correcting will make the biggest progress. I see this in tournaments. I never say nothing, but it drives me mad. You're here, as you see a guy and he loses, right? The guy had better technique and he made a mistake. But instead of the center, you go, do you know what? I had the band on my ankle. Yeah, I'm, I'm always unlucky when I have the band. Are you, are you, you think you lost because of the band? Or I had the colored belt. They come up with these random excuses. You're holding yourself back, not no one else. No one believes what you're going to say. Um, but they want to put it to some outside thing that has no bearing or... Do you know what it was? Um, I was meant to fight at 12. It's now one o'clock. And my, so was your opponent. He, he had to wait an extra hour with you. So what's the, he just dealt with it better than you if that's what you're saying. Just be honest and real with yourself and you'll progress a lot more. And that's it. 
But it is again like the very it's, it's their head. They don't. They can't accept that, right? Yeah, but it's it, it comes back to 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 this sort of concept of you are responsible for everything in mm -hmm. your life, which is difficult. Yeah, you know, it's is is yeah, people don't can't, can't good be. and it's powerful yeah. and it allows you to to do great things. But to, to say like every single thing that went right and went wrong, wrong that I like, that I don't like about relationship, work, where I live, yeah. how my body is, whatever, it's down to me. Yeah, and that, that's the best attitude to have. Like um, I love my son, he's amazing, but me, um, uh, like we're opposites. Like I'm super dedicated and everything in his life is everyone else's fault, okay? He can never take accountability. Um, and I've told him time and time again, Look at the choices you have made growing up. You went to college and you decided not to do the course. I told you to finish it, even if it went you want. You can trace everything back to his decisions, where he ain't where he is now. Um, I've not mentioned this before. Um, I'm dyslexic. Um, I went to and when I went to school, it weren't dealt with the way it was. So I went to school. I couldn't read and write very well. Um, and Bill tried to take the Mickey out of me. I guess I had lots of fights. Um, and it got picked up. I got put into like a class where they'd help me. Um, but what they have now, if you're dyslexic, you'll have someone reading the answer. So my knowledge was there. I loved history. I, I, I could do everything. I couldn't put it in in on paper. So that's what the school did. They didn't let me set some of my GCSEs because I would bring their score down. Right? It's wrong, right? This is what happened. I'm just saying what happened. They didn't even let me sit English or maths, two most important GCSEs. They didn't let me sit them because it would have got their hot obstead and all that. But I'm young and I come from, my dad was like going to work in a building site, be a roofer, don't worry about it, school. Where I look at other people's parents and that was their main schooling. It's, I see now, I'm like, God. So then when I left school, I got when I got into boxing, I actually taught myself to read books. It wasn't just I was dyslexic, I was, they was giving me kiddie books because I was bad at reading. I was going to like, read at 14 years old. When I found things, I actually started teaching myself to read. Um, took time, but I taught myself to read. Right, but I still my writing still looks like an eight-year-old. But <laughs> but then what I realised was I, being dyslexic, you excel in other places. I, I have good communication skills. Um, I obsess about things. Um, and even when I got married, I had done my whole wedding speech from memory. And everyone thought I wrote it down, and it's like because I can't put it down on paper, I can, I know what I need to say. I don't, so even it helps me in teaching jujitsu. Let's say I'm teaching a class, and I have an idea what I'm teaching. And then this night, a load of beginners turn up, but I was expecting more higher belts. Okay, I know what to do. I don't have to have it written down and planned. It's all here, right? But I learned that through not being able to write things down, that it's here, is is in here. Um, so in a way, dyslexia helped me in a way. And I never tell you, it hindered me. And my school teacher, I went to know that what you're going to do is a job. I said, because I was in boxing, I said, I want to be, a, am I going to be a professional fighter or a coach? And I was like, can you please pick a real job? <laughs> They're like, uh, look at plumbing, look at this. So um, I ended up working my dad and roofing. That was a disaster because me and my brother had to work together and we've always thought we, we end up, I'm not proud of saying this, me and my brother... When we left school, we'd end up getting on fights on building sites, like four stories up. Like, I'm surprised no one... My dad said, he sacked us both of us. He said, you're going to kill each other. We love each other. We just end up fighting, right? It's just simply... He can box. I can do judo. Like, it was a bad combination. And, 
<laughs> but yeah, we'd fight four stories up on a scaffold. Like, and my dad's like, you're representing my business. I need a sat to both. So then I went on to building sites, got more sensible. Remember, I had a bad back, so I come out of that. Then I went into retail, worked my way up to a manager, and then I was managing in retail while opening the academy. So this is why some of the youngsters go, oh, it's so hard to like train it and this. I'm like, guys, like I worked six days a week. I'd finish work at half past six. I'd get on the bus and go straight to teach. Then sleep and I'd repeat. Yeah, there weren't... Uh, and then you, even on a... If I did have a day off work, I'd go up to Roger Gracie Academy, Ladbrook Grove, and I'd get out of there at like 10 o'clock at night and get have to get back for work the next day. Like Ladbrook Grove to Dagenham's a long way. Yeah. And I weren't driving. And I think people don't realise the sacrifices you have to make. I think what's difficult as well is that in today's culture, it is very much about, bro, I just blew up, man, because of my TikTok. Quick, or this. Quick, quick. Like it just happens overnight and then you're there. And and certainly like for for our generation, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, but when when we were young, as far as I can remember, the stories always were, was this guy worked so hard, hard that to he get became, where he got. yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't really ever no. the, the quick and thing. And I even, again, going back to people, I, um, I won't say, but I know some guys where they're like, oh yeah, this is this podcast guy. And what he says, if you do a job, just do the minimum. So what he's saying is that like, if you've got being at nine, turn up at nine. When you finish at six, don't do no overtime. Don't do nothing extra. Like he says, they don't care about you. I said, okay, you're using this guy's snow. Let me tell you something else. I used to manage in retail. And, and I own my own gym. I gave one of my students a job. The reason I gave him the job, one, he had great people skills. Uh, every session he would stay behind and clean the mats. And he had a great work ethic and he would do anything to help anyone. If you was the guy going dead on time, guess what? You won't got a job. I also know people that worked in restaurants. They were serving someone and, and they'd done that bit extra. And guess what? They have a guy owned a restaurant and he, got the, he gave them a job. You never know, okay? Retail. Um, I was a sales assistant. I remember one year... And I was a, a supervisor. One year, the, the gap manager walked out of a store. They went, Spence, go in there, sort out for Christmas. So I sorted out for Christmas and I got home Christmas Eve at like 12 o'clock at night. It was JD Sports. And I went back to work the next day. Manager called me off. He goes, you got the store, it's yours. What you did over Christmas, good not your Christmas. Okay, but if you all listen to this guy, guess what? No one's, no one's going to no give you a break if you don't put in extra, yeah? Even if it never pays off, take pride that you put the best in that you can. Don't be that guy who's like, I'm doing the minimum. Why would you have that mentality anyway? What is it? Is yeah, it's even like, to yourself? It's like that. There's that that saying. Um, I think it's chop wood, carry water. Yes. You know, like whatever yeah. you do, just do it. Do to it to the best. Yeah, just just do just best. do it. Just you know, Be you efficient. get to the end of the do day, the you sit down and you feel like okay, I've done done all right today. Exactly. Then no, I, I agree. Slack with that, 100%. off. Hundred like, percent. Like, um, you know, talking about chop wood. Like I use an a, a, a analogy where. Uh, You've got two, two men and they're both cutting wood and they're both working with the other. And one guy takes an hour break every day and he starts cutting more wood than the other guy. And he's like, how is this guy cutting more wood than me? And he takes an hour break. He's like, what are you doing? He goes, I just go and sharpen my axe. So he spends that time sharpening his axe. That's more efficient. That's jujitsu for me. Okay, you can train really hard like a lunatic and do more hours. But if you've got a guy sharpening his skills more and being more proficient, he will get a better result than him. You only made me think of that because you were talking about wood and water. That's a, that's a beautiful place to wrap it up, I think. Do you think? I think it is. That's a beautiful uh, story. Yeah. I can't remember where I stole it from, but yeah. It's my, it's my favourite. I like it. So let me, let me ask you three questions that have got nothing to do with jiu-jitsu. Okay. 
So number one is um, if you are trapped in a TV show mm -hmm. for a month, mm -hmm. what would you choose? Wow. Gremlins. Gremlins. Okay, nice. Because <laughs> it's this All Christmas, right. yeah. and, like and uh, I'd have a catapult and I'd be ready to take them on, I think. Beautiful. All right, Gremlins. Uh, number two, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? A hundred duck-sized horses. Okay, and the last question is... <laughs> That's a good one. Very <laughs> random. The, the, the last question is, you can have £10 million in cash yep. right now, but you're being chased by a snail. If the snail touches you, you die a horrible death. The snail cannot be killed. The snail cannot be stopped. The snail knows where you are at all times, and it has only one purpose, which is to get to you. Would you take the money? I wouldn't take the money. Why? Um, I believe the world right now is so materialistic and everything's about finance. Money's important, but quality of life and everything is more important to me. Perfect. Um, what's your social media? How do people find um, you? So uh, BJJ Hewitt's my Instagram. If anyone's looking to train in uh, the Essex areas, check my Essex. You can Google it, it'll come up. Um, we have classes every day. First class is free. Um, even though we have a big competition team, we do have a lot of hobbyists and, and I make sure I spend time with everyone, not just competition team. Um, I'm on Facebook as Spencer Hewitt. I think the account's not open though. And that check, Matt, you got a you got some Muay Thai, a bit of yoga Yeah, we and have stuff Thai, well. we have yoga, we do a lot of Nogi and Gi. We did have MMA, I, I stopped the MMA class, they just weren't enough interest or people weren't dedicated enough. Um, it's funny how I went to MMA and when I stop it dies off. Um, and you got mornings, lunch, evenings, yeah. weekends, pretty yeah. much full-time. don't have early mornings, but we have lunch, yeah. That's cool. Full-time full -time academy. Training. Beautiful. People are welcome from other academies. We, I'm not one of them like, you, you, you've come someone else. And so can, can people pay like a drop-in fee? Yeah, £12.50 yeah. and you can come to the open mat, you can come to a class. You can, if you're blue belt and above, you can come on the Sunday comp rounds. Beautiful. So, so and at BJJ Hewitt on Instagram. Yeah. So I'll put, I'll put links in the, in the show notes for, for um, all of these things. I'd like to give a shout out to Shoy Roll Europe. Um, Shoy Roll Europe. I tell you, Has is in charge of it in the UK. Um, he sponsored me as a master's. You know, you've got all young athletes to, to sponsor. And it was always my favourite brand, even though it's really expensive, but I loved it. And uh, he actually sponsored me as a master and I was like, that's cool. Like, he, you know, no, there's other brands like I asked and they weren't interested. And the brand that I liked the most was sponsored the me. Yeah, and it was off the cuff. Um, yeah, I was fighting on Polaris and I said, I'm going to wear one of your AP hoodies. He's like, I'll send you some Shoy Roll stuff. I'm like, cool. And that was the, yeah, and we're good friends now as well, which is really cool. And who, who's that? Has at Shoy Roll. Has at Shoy yeah. Roll. He's a really cool guy, man. Shout out to you, Has. Yeah, um, he does a lot for like, a lot of athletes as well. I don't know. Yeah, really I was know. with... Uh, he's very under the radar. I told really you cool I was guy. with Jude last night. Yeah, Jude's so sponsored by him as well. He's, yeah. he's a... Yeah. And yeah. Jude's a cool guy. I know I trained with Jude, uh, not at his academy, but he was at Roger Grace's when I was there. And he he he, he uh, took a lot of time out for a lot of people, even if you weren't his student. Really, really good guy. And yeah. he got me on Bama, even though I didn't get the result. 
Very nice. So thank you very much for coming down. I really appreciate you coming in. Um, and I appreciate you sharing the knowledge and the stories. It was lovely. Thank, no, thank you for having me. It, wasn't even, it felt like just a conversation. It was, it was very nice. It just yeah. flowed. That's, that's um, which how I'm I try. And that's how I like it. It wasn't like a, just a question. from You let me talk. You ask some questions, talk. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it, actually. Beautiful. So, well, you're, you're welcome back anytime. Cool. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I know everyone's time is precious. So uh, if you've spent a couple of hours with us, I appreciate you. Uh, don't forget to follow the podcast at White Basement Pod on Instagram. Uh, follow on all your podcast platforms, YouTube, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you hit the like button. A uh, new episode every Tuesday, 5am, they come out early. So if you're an early riser and you're uh, getting the work in before everybody else, whether it's sharpening your axe or drinking your coffee or whatever <laughs> it is, 5am uh, every Tuesday, we've got a new episode coming out and we'll catch you next time. Such a competitive sport uh-huh. My glasses still on It's the incredible dark uh-huh. <laughs> They wanna try me Like the federal car But I'm unashamed Of the gospel I never retort That statement Of the rappers A wax sauce DJ treat them Like Mr. Miyagi And turn they wax off Reaching God's standards We all fall short Like trying to shoot A medicine ball